You're listening to the Oz TV Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome back everybody to the Oz Network as we continue our 58th hour of Star Wars coverage. This week we cover (laughs) Star Wars, the font. Is it a good font? Do we agree with the font? Should it be a better font? And can Disney improve on the font? Uh, Oh, shit, sorry, I've just been handed the note here. Okay, sorry, no, we're not doing Star Wars anymore. That is coming in 2021. We're here to wrap up 2019 with an episode that is actually going to wrap up the entire decade. We're here to discuss what we think, at least in our eyes, and you know our eyes are the most important eyes, what are the best movies and TV shows of the 2010s? A, a fun little episode on the same page we did earlier this year, the top 50 movies and TV shows of all time. This time I'm going to lump it all into one episode, go through them and give our varying lists of the the media that is the 2010s and the excitement that comes from that. My name is Ben and I am an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying it now because you will probably say the same to me when you see some of my list. So why not? Uh, and my name is Colin. I'm a little less of an idiot. <laughs> just, I'm looking at my I, list. I'm thinking, I think was, of a quote. Think of a quote. I'm like, I can't think of a quote for any of these movies. I'm an idiot. <laughs> well, let's think, I'm so glad you hosted this episode now because like, I don't think when you said I'm an idiot, I swear my first thought in my head is he didn't know what to say either. <laughs> it just occurred to me, you said, my name is Ben. I'm like, what, what am I going to say? Well, I'm looking here on one of my pages I've got open in front of me. There's an ad on the side for some books. And uh, one of the books they're trying to sell is Knit Your Own Cat. So I could have said, <laughs> said, my name is Ben and Knit Your Own Cat. <laughs> um, but yeah, look, I'm excited for this one. You you came up with this idea several months ago um, as sort of a nice little closure. And this, this will be, I guess, our last, um, I don't want to say normal episode. That's not the right word. But uh, obviously we've got um, our Rise of Skywalker review, which I think by the time we're releasing this, we've already released. Uh, there'll be a spoiler one. There's a few other Rise of Skywalker things to do. And then we'll have our best of the year and best of the decade episodes. But this is more just a quick little summary of the, the 2010s itself, because I, I always get excited at the end of a decade. I think it's, I love rewatching, you know, best things of the decade. And then you kind of remember certain things and everything along those lines. So yeah, I, I'm I'm excited to do this. I, I mean, I will say I didn't put a whole lot of thought into some of these. Like, I think my TV one was a lot easier than my movie one. But yeah, um, yeah I, I mean, look, I'm excited. I think you had a good idea. You're not you're not an idiot for coming up with this idea, Colin. Thank you. Job. You're welcome. That's why I said I'm a little less of an idiot because I came <laughs> up with the idea. But that's the only reason why. <laughs> yes, yes. But I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I think it's it's been an interesting decade for for both movies and TV shows. I I don't know if. Is this decade really defined by anything? I think the 2000s maybe were a lot more defined by this sort of dark and gritty and origins and rebooting and creating franchise. I think this decade's really just kind of continued on what we had in the mid to late 2000s. You'd argue the late 2010s have been a lot about shifting gears into, you know, a lot more inclusive films and TV shows, a lot more, you know, female starring movies, uh, a lot more movies of just non-white people kind of, you know, diversifying a little bit on a level that we have seen before, but not to this extent, if that makes sense. So Mm -hmm. um, a lot of that has maybe 
turned so-called woke in some aspects, but not necessarily everything. It's It's been an interesting decade. I don't know if you have any thoughts on what has really defined what we've seen in movies and TV shows this decade. Well, with the last decade, I mean, just in terms of TV, I mean, that decade was really defined by serialization, which hadn't really been done in television before. I mean, uh, I think we talked about it multiple times. The same, within, I think, the same week, 24 and Alias both came out in, like, 2001. Mm-hmm. And both used the serialized format, which nobody else had done on television, at least American television before. And then you had Lost, really. And that became so big that I feel like all shows this decade shied away from that. You know, I look at my list. There, there's there's continuing story arcs. But, like, the whole idea of serialized TV has just sort of gone away because I think it became too hard for people to follow on, like, a weekly basis. So the only time you really get that now is on the streaming, which is the other part of it, that – this decade for TV is really defined by, you know, the, the 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 boom of streaming platforms, which if I look at my list, I've got, you know, maybe one uh, show on there uh, that's like a streaming TV show, maybe two. But uh, that has a lot to do with the fact that this is such a new thing. You know, it, it, it hasn't really been until the last couple of years. You know, you, you had a few shows like Orange is the New Black that were around. But now over, I'd say the last two, three years, I mean, the biggest shows on TV tend to be the ones that are netflix original shows amazon prime original shows disney plus original shows now so as far as what's defined this decade i feel like it's only really started to get defined in the last couple of years yeah that's a very good point actually um for sure and look it's going to be interesting going into the 2020s and seeing how this all goes out with it but um yeah i i think that if i'm looking at my list of tv shows one of them is a streaming show um so that's quite interesting with that so yeah i'm not a streamer um i mean i don't look like something that you would blow in the wind that was a really bad joke ben but uh (laughs) what uh like people have been releasing those you know these are my top artists of the decade on spotify like i don't even have spotify i still you know have music that i like to keep on my computer so kind of Mm -hmm. that sort of stuff isn't something i do so yeah um it has been interesting in that that side of things too but um yeah, I mean, movies-wise as well, you know, if you didn't think we were dominated by superhero movies and franchises and that previously, this decade just completely blew it away. We had new Star Wars movies this decade that I don't think we ever thought we were going to have, um, you know, so many things that around that as well. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been quite a ride. But like, I don't know how you've yeah. categorised your movies and TV shows. I'll just say, I think maybe we can start with the TV shows. I feel like this might not take as yeah. long as the movies. I, for one, now you, we didn't actually specify a a criteria. I have only yeah. categorized TV shows that started in this decade. So I, same, yeah, yeah, okay, good. Because I, I've read a lot of lists that have have ranked the shows of the decade, and they've included like Breaking Bad and Lost in there because you know Lost ended in 2010, Breaking Bad started I think in 28, but ended in like 2014 or whatever it was. I haven't. I've only included shows that started this decade. Otherwise, I would have had <laughs> Lost and Breaking Bad and shows like that in there. So I just want to clarify. I'm glad you've you've clarified that too. Um, and to me, this is actually the easier one because I did look at my top 50 TV shows list and kind of just mm-hmm. went through that and kind of pretty much chose from that list mostly. So, and then it was just putting them in an order. So, I don't know if you kind of went into this with any extra criteria or anything out of that. I don't know if there is any really other criteria because I think you didn't include things like talk shows and that on your last list, but I mean, I have I haven't included 
well, I mean, I didn't really watch any reality shows this decade that started this decade. <laughs> so, yeah, mine's a pretty standard list. I don't really have much else to add on how I cry- did criteria on my TV shows. Yeah, and I mean, this is a lot easier than the movie one um, because I think there's just a lot more movies. Uh, but, you know, with the, the TV shows, the only other really the criteria I set was a I there's one exception on here, but I didn't include anything unless it had at least three seasons, um, which is partly due to the fact that there are several TV shows that are brand new that I absolutely love that are only choose like Jack Ryan that that based on the two seasons that have come out would have easily made this list. But I also know there are plenty of TV shows. You know, if you had asked me to do my list of the last decade, heroes probably would have been on there from the first two seasons. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But if you group in season three, four or whatever, maybe not necessarily. So, so I wanted to at least give the breathing room of three seasons. Cause like anybody could have two good seasons. Um, And then also, uh, TV shows that I haven't finished because there's another show which this is kind of just my honorable mention section here. You know, Jack Ryan and another show called Unreal, which we both mentioned. Oh, yeah. We would have included yeah. on our all time show, but I haven't finished the show. I think I'm, I've started season three. There's four seasons. I'm like, I'm not going to include that because what I've seen is basically just over 50%. And if I say that's best show of the decade and the last two seasons are garbage, then, you know, well, that was a mistake. Um, there are a couple of shows that I have on here that. I'm not 100% caught up on, but there are shows that have been on long enough where I'm like, I can get it, you know, uh, a little bit of a break for that. And then uh, another show, which honorable mention, but probably would have been the only reality show that could have been included on here would have been like The Amazing Race Canada. But as that's just a spinoff of The Amazing Race US, I didn't really feel it was fair to call that a TV show this decade. I really want to keep to shows that started in this decade that you know hopefully ended in this decade but if they didn't they've been around long enough that i i I at least have a grasp on this is what the show's about and it's good you know for at least three seasons yeah i i agree with that particularly like i said with the amazing race australia i mean i i wouldn't have put it but like an honorable mention i mean look i'm not a huge amazing race fan but I've, i've probably enjoyed the australian version the most out of all the ones i've seen particularly the the third season when they did australia versus new zealand i thought that was fantastic but um yeah no i'm definitely with you there and like one that i definitely really thought about including because I've thoroughly enjoyed it, and it's only been around for time recording this five episodes. Is the Mandalorian? But um, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's a bit presumptuous to put that in the top ten TV shows of the decade after only five episodes. So um, yeah, I didn't do the criteria of the three seasons thing. Although having looking at my list, I think there's only one that's. It's. I mean, it's it's hard to lump into it as a season anyway because it's kind of it's its own beast. So it's sort of something that you can't mm-hmm. really classify as a season thing. It was. You know, we'll get to that one anyway. Um, but I guess honourable mentions, I didn't really come up with some, but just quickly thinking them off the top of my head. Unreal is definitely one, but I'm the same as you. I haven't watched the last two seasons yet. So, um, I yeah, I can't really think about that one. Uh, Mandalorian, again, again, it's five episodes old at the time of recording this, but it is <laughs> such a great show. We're thoroughly enjoying it. Um, one that I, you know, Ryan Murphy, obviously, is my man. I love me some Ryan Murphy, and he's produced a lot this decade, and there's going to possibly be a couple on my list um i really like this show that he's recently done called pose um which it's it's a it's a unique show it's kind of it's a hard show i feel to really explain what it's about it it's kind of focuses on kind of like the transgender and gay community of new york in like the late 80s and early 90s and 
kind of dealing with the AIDS epidemic and there's a lot of stuff around the ballroom scene in the in the city and just it's it's a really interesting show i believe it's the most ever transgender um actors in a single main cast ever it's it's unique and i've just at the time of recording this binge the second season and it's it's just it's very interesting it's 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 obviously a world i don't know so i'm learning a lot watching it and it's got some great acting in that so i just feel like that's a bit of an honorable mention as a show that i, I thoroughly enjoyed um and two two really random ones which are kind of you, you talk about these serialized and non-serialized shows i don't really like these week-to-week cop shows like i know i watched third watch but i mean it was a different time and that was continued on a lot of storylines and all that sort of stuff. But a random show, which I've just watched this decade and I kind of think it is almost the spiritual success of the third watch in many ways is blue bloods. And it's just one of these mm-hmm. really like random weekly shows. It's going to be on the air for like 30 years until Tom Selleck dies basically. But like, you can just tune out and just watch it. And I just really appreciate uh, Donnie Wahlberg just being Donnie Wahlberg. And just, I don't know. It's just a random show on a Saturday, which Mallory and I just enjoy watching and, it's never going to be a brilliant show, but it's just it's cheap television that I don't mind watching. And same with um, Designated Survivor. Uh, I'm yeah. watching it because of Kiefer. Kiefer's amazing. I haven't quite watched the third season yet, but, um, you know, I love me some Kiefer. And another one, too, which is just random, cheesy Ryan Murphy rubbish is 911. I know you and I did the uh, yes. <laughs> the pilot episode of it, but it's kind of it's, it's third watch on drugs and crack because just the storylines that they do with it is just hilariously over the top with really cheesy soap opera style drama sometimes. That's what Ryan Murphy does brilliantly. So, yeah, just a couple of honourable mentions there um, because I think for the most part my 10 is pretty solidified. Uh, a, f- a few more just to throw out there. There was one that I really wanted to include, which is uh, there- there's not a lot of comedy on mine because um, what happens is there's a lot of sitcoms that I think are hilarious and are canceled after one year. And it's almost become like a running thing in our house that if we watch a new sitcom or a new comedy show and I'm laughing at it, it's like, oh, this show is going to be canceled by the end of it because it just <laughs> happens every show that I find funny is canceled. But there's one that actually, you know, survived, which is called Fresh Off the Boat. Uh, which is, you know, um, uh, loosely based on a true story or a true character is about, uh, you know, a, a Chinese family who uh, opens up a very country and Western themed restaurant <laughs> in Florida, which is just an amazing show. And it's coming to the end this year. Um, that's sort of an honorable mention for that, which I couldn't quite put it in here because I don't think that it's like the greatest show ever, but it lasted. So I got to at least give it a mention. I didn't kill a, a good comedy. <laughs> You're welcome, world. Uh, and then the DC... TV universe is so strong, especially when you compare it to like the trash Marvel puts out. There was like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and everything. Uh, all of their shows, like Supergirl is a great show. Legends of Tomorrow is a great show. Um, I haven't seen the new Batwoman show yet, but I've heard it's incredible. Yeah, but the, the ones that really Ugh. started. <laughs> but the, the show, I'm sure the show, you know, gets. Pe- now, maybe not. You're I right. can't She's stomach kinda... Ruby Rose. I'm sorry. I just cannot <laughs> stomach her. So I could not watch it. But the, the two that started it, Arrow and The Flash, I really got to give an honorable mention on here because I feel like if I were caught up, there's one show on here that I'm not 100% caught up on, like I said, but I feel like if I were more caught up on Arrow and The Flash, they easily would have been much higher on here. Both shows kind of had like hit and miss seasons, um, but uh, you know, Arrow is sort of coming to a close this year, so I do want to get caught up before the finale airs, um, which uh, I think is in January. Uh, and then the flash. I'm like, I'm like at least two seasons behind on these shows. And uh, I'll, I'll just say flat out for arrow, especially um, 
Arrow's probably weaker overall if you look at you know the the four or five scenes I've seen as a whole than the four or five scenes of the Flash that I've seen. But um, the season two of Arrow probably stronger than any superhero movie I've seen this decade. Like any superhero movie period hmm. of this whole decade, season two of Arrow is way bigger and way better than any of that. Um, so it would have been nice to include those shows on, shows on here, but. Again, because I am so far behind on them, you know, and, you know, at least with Arrow, it's still wrapping up its final season. Didn't quite include those, but definitely like, highly recommend those shows. One thing actually you just mentioned, which reminded me to talk about what defined this decade. I think it's clear the reboot as well. I mean, how many shows came back this year? Yeah. Uh, this decade, sorry. So um, for the mm-hmm. most part, very much a miss, not a hit. Um, you know, I look at something I absolutely love, Will and Grace, and that the reboot kind of started off well, but then it just turned into preachfest.com. So it kind of, yeah, it's, it's definitely faded. So um, that's something I would like to see stay in the 2010s and not keep doing that into the 2020s. Um, so I think how we're going to do this, uh, are we going to go from 10 down to 6 or 10 down to 4 and then do our top 3 separately or top 5 separately? Uh, we kind of talked about this off air and pre-production. What, what's your final thoughts here, Mr. Hilding? Yeah, let's let's do uh, for at least this one. Let's for the TV. Let's do six to, or we'll do six to four. Let's do six <laughs> to four. Then we'll do ten to eight. Then we'll just do seven <laughs> at the end. <laughs> uh, no, let's do ten to four here. Okay. And uh, it's similar to like our you know best of all time that we did. I guess you know each person goes through their choices, explains a bit about the show, and then the other person can kind of give a quick response if they're familiar with the shows at all i honestly feel that our tv shows will not have any of the same that's just my opinion because i don't know i guarantee <laughs> yeah all right so let's go down 10 to 34 so number 10 uh the following the kevin bacon little uh, mystery show that kind of aired earlier in the decade and basically kevin bacon was a, an fbi agent and was tracking a serial killer uh, played by that great guy, which I've gone completely blank on his name, uh, but I really like him. Um, and it kind of went on for about three seasons and got a bit predictable by the end. But just in those initial episodes, like early on, it was really, really good. And just anything with Kevin Bacon in it is incredible, even though he's done about two or three other shows this decade and I actually haven't watched. Um, James Purfoy, 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 whatever you say his name is. Oh, yeah. Um, he Love was the, the serial killer. So, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was very tense and dark and really, really good. So, uh, definitely enjoyed that one. Number nine, episodes. Uh, I think I talked a lot of that up in our top 51. Matt LeBlanc just basically playing a completely over-the-top silly version of himself and about a British couple who have a very successful British show come to America to try and sell it to a US network. And, of course, the US network just completely destroys it. You know, in Britain, it's about a an esteemed private school with a very British headmaster. And the American network's like, hey, let's make Matt LeBlanc the principal and make it about ice hockey. Um, so it's kind of just completely ripping into what they did. And it's just hilarious. Matt LeBlanc playing himself and just a lot of in-jokes for friends uh, fans and everything on there. Really, really good. Uh, if you've never watched it, watch it. I'm going to say that for all of these, of course. Uh, number eight, I have American <laughs> Horror Story, our first Ryan Murphy uh, one on this list. And the thing I really like about American Horror Story is just the unique take they put every single uh, season that they can refresh it with the same actors. I remember when I first heard they were doing this, I'm thinking, like, that's going to be dumb. Like, it's going to be confusing. But it's just, it's incredible. Every season, they're able to come up with something completely new and fresh. Uh, and it's just, it's just, it's great. Like, I just recently wrapped up um, American Horror Story 1984. And again, just like, what, nine, ten seasons in, just still able to be so great. 
Um, and it's given me like a real admiration for some actors that I wasn't really familiar with. Jessica Lange, I really wasn't overly familiar with. I know she'd won like two Academy Awards basically, but, um, yeah, I didn't really know a whole lot about her until I saw this. Um, Sarah Paulson, I love that woman so much. (laughs) Um, and pre Star is Born, Lady Gaga, just crazy good. So, yeah, uh, really love the show. I should have mentioned two of my honourable mentions, Screen Queens. Didn't quite make my top ten. I might be in yours. But, um, yeah, I really enjoy that. And a lot of the same actors in that that are in American Horror Story. Number seven, The Newsroom, uh, Jeff Daniels. Such a great dramatic actor, even if though I know him mainly from Dumb and Dumb, having watched that so many times as a kid. And I think also Alan Sorkin, it's a show that I feel gets lost in his repertoire of things that he's done because obviously he's so connected to the West Wing. But... It just it kept his style that real fast paced dialogue and for a journalist myself like I've never worked for TV but there are so many things that I can relate to with how this works and I, it was brilliantly done and the fact that it only lasted two seasons I think was such a shame because it was such a great show and the opening scene which I think always gets done in the rounds like best opening scenes ever of TV shows it's it's great so check out the newsroom. Uh, one that I think you liked but then stopped watching, Homeland. Uh, I'm still a Homeland fan. It's definitely waned since Brody left. There have been... It's a hit and miss seasons, but it's about to end next season. But I, I like Claire Danes. Um, I like Mandy Patinkin or whatever his name is. Um, I, I'm a I'm a Homeland fan, and I think kind of it's it's been solid enough throughout its run to warrant being number six on my list. Uh, number five... I can't put Breaking Bad, obviously, because that started in the 2010, uh, the 2000, sorry, but it's spin-off, uh, it's prequel, Better Call Soul, definitely can make it. Just stays in the same formula as Breaking Bad. It's great. Uh, Bob Odenkirk is a fantastic actor. He should be in more things. He's a brilliant, brilliant actor. And it's just, it's great. It's really good to tie in a lot of things from Breaking Bad as well. And just, it also can run on its own separate show. If you've never seen Breaking Bad, you can easily watch Better Call Saul and just enjoy it for what it is. Um, that's funny. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, I was coughing. Oh, laughing. right. <laughs> laughing at my serious <laughs> statement. Ben, you're an idiot. <laughs> and number four, this is the one which is kind of, it's not really a, a series as such. It's It's Angry Boys, which... I, I had a few Chris Lilly entries in my top 50. And again, for those who didn't listen to that, I'm not sure. Chris Lilly is an Australian comedian. He's a, he's a character actor. He basically, each series he does, he will play, you know, four or five main characters. And Angry Boys is kind of his most ambitious one. He got HBO funding after off, coming off the back of the really successful Summer Heights High in Australia. And it was a bit controversial because, like, he kind of he played a black rapper in it and he played like an Asian woman. So he kind of just goes out and plays these outlandish characters and just also ties in like really deep messages in it. It's hilarious. And I love Angry Boys. It's a great show. And any Chris Lilly fan might not say that's their favorite, but to me that's probably my favorite Chris Lilly one that he's done. So um yeah, there that's ten down to four. <laughs> um so I've seen two of your shows or I've seen some of two of your seven shows there. Um <laughs> But just to talk about the ones I haven't seen first, um, Angry Boys, I, I know we talked about this on our best of all time one, like Chris Lilly, he kind of has like, I guess, a cult following here. And it's yeah. big enough that uh, they've added whatever the most recent show is to Netflix. What is the most recent one? L- Lunatic, which did- he did specifically for Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That that one's on Netflix here. I've got it on my list because, again, I've heard multiple people talk about him, you know, even here in Canada. 
Uh, so it's it would not be cool his best, adds- but it's I enjoyed Lunatics. A lot of people didn't, but um, don't if you watch it and don't like it, I would say don't let that turn you off him because if you go back and watch Summer Heights High is the one that will hook you into him because that was mm-hmm. and that's pretty hundred percent accurate of what school is like in Australia. I will tell you that. <laughs> um. With episodes, you know, again, I've heard a lot about this show, but it's not something that's ever really been on my radar. Um, I think it's an HBO show as well. And Showtime. typically I pick... Oh, Showtime? Okay. Yeah. Well, here in Canada, um, we have what's called Crave TV, which is like all of the movie channels, which is grouped with HBO and Showtime. So uh, this past summer when Game of Thrones was finishing, you know, I picked up uh, the Movie Central or Crave TV package which included you know uh, the app with all these shows and it was on there and i thought about watching it uh but the next time i think probably when Watchmen finishes because that's the show where you know once it's done i'll pick up the channel for a month so that i can uh you know get the app with all those different shows and maybe then i'll check out episodes if it's as good as you say it is um <clears throat> but if you're an idiot which <laughs> well i'm an idiot i'll die another day so you know yeah, then maybe not. Uh, Newsroom, again, I, I've always wanted to check it out, especially because I'm a big Jeff Daniels fan. Uh, and uh, there was a similar Canadian show like The Newsroom that I always get this confused with. Uh, and I like the Canadian show. I can't even remember what it was called. Um, it may have even been called Newsroom. Who knows? Uh, but I always get those shows confused. So, I, again, I've never really checked out The Newsroom. Uh, never really checked out American Horror Story. Um, I I don't know if... I have it in me. It's we talked about this with Breaking Bad. I don't know if I have it in me to commit to a show that's that long. If you know it is one of these like very addictive type shows, uh, so it's something where it's like maybe I'll catch it one of these days, or if I guess it's as an anthology series, maybe you can sort of pick and choose. Oh, you can your favorite easily. seasons easily. Yeah, then maybe maybe it'll be a little bit easier to to pick it up. Um, the what one better call Saul. Uh, I'm glad you said that you don't need to see Breaking Bad because as we talked about about Breaking Bad, you know it's one of these shows that has so many episodes out there, and you you kind of do have to watch the whole series. And I just don't have the commitment to do that, knowing that you could watch Better Call Saul without that. More likely, I'll pick it up. So the two that I've seen on here, Homeland, which we talked about before, I I there were things I really liked about the show. Uh, but particularly Claire Danes <laughs> really couldn't stand her. And uh, Mandy Patinkin, though, like like he made that show. And my sister is a big fan of Homeland. And she said, like, she's a huge Claire Danes fan. Like, that was her hero growing up because she grew up during the time of Claire Danes being kind of that, you know, alternative to the, the teen girls of the 90s or whatever. And, you know, she watched it and was like, oh, Mandy Patinkin is the best thing on there, you know. Uh, I don't know if I would ever get around to watching it again, although because to me it was kind of like 24 light, but uh, you know it wasn't terrible from what I saw. I just couldn't deal with Claire Danes anymore. <laughs> uh, following, uh, I remember when the show came out, and I don't remember seeing the first episode. I think I kind of dropped in at some point during the first season, uh, more for James Purefoy than for Kevin Bacon because he is such an incredible actor. Uh, but it was such like a really unique show, and uh, probably one of the last like really unique creative uh network television shows uh that i kind of would like to find that again and to watch all the way through it especially if it is only three seasons uh but those are the only ones i've seen out of those um and it's got i'm not seeing his name in it um that he was in the x-men movies i think he's canadian because he used to be in animorphs as well back in the day um he's the one who likes anna paquin in the first x-men movie Um, oh um sean ashmore and he's a twin yeah yeah, Sean. Ash- yeah, because Aaron Ashmore is the one from Smallville. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sean Ashmore is the one from X-Men. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, there's another reason to watch it. You know, good Canadian actor, twin. 
Um, <laughs> we're very into twins in this house lately. Uh, <laughs> uh, don't don't interpret that the wrong way, people. We have twins. <laughs> twins, Basil. Twins. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not seeing. I'm not reading Idiot in your list yet, so I'm really <laughs> terrified. I think, I think my I think my movie one's more the Idiot list, to be honest. Uh, well, oh, okay. actually, well, even I, saying I, that, there's maybe one in there that you're definitely going to call me an idiot on, but the rest, I think, you know, TV ones, I, I'm pretty satisfied with, and I think most people would be. Okay, um, so starting off mine, uh, number ten. Uh, this is the only Canadian show that's on my list. Like Canadian TV is very different in that uh, we have to have a certain percentage of Canadian content. Like I don't know of, of Australian TV, like how much of your networks air pure Australian content. But here in Canada, I think you only have to have something like twenty five, or it's less than thirty percent of your your content has to be Canadian. Uh, so the Canadian shows we have, it tends to usually be, you know, the last hour of the night. And, you know, there have been a few decent shows. Like there was a kind of like those procedural, you know, cop shows, you said they call Motive that was really good. But the one that, you know, was so good that everybody in the world started watching is Orphan Black, which I don't even think most people are even familiar with the fact that it is a Canadian show, even though it takes place in Canada and it's all Canadian actors and everything. <laughs> but uh, I don't if you're if you don't know anything about the show, it's basically this girl who realizes that there's a clone of her out there. And then she realizes there are four five, six clones of her and the lead actress, Tatiana Maslany, she plays all these characters. So every single episode she's playing multiple characters of herself all grew up under different circumstances. And of course it all ties to like, you know, you know, secret science projects and stuff like that. But it's just such an insane sci-fi show uh, and totally different. And funny enough, when I saw the first episode, I was totally turned off by the show. And then it, they, when the season finished, I kind of, you know, recorded it. It was on TV and I recorded like, the marathon of the whole season one and like could not stop watching the show. And, you know, it, 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 I wouldn't say it's a show that gets better by the end, but it's one of these shows that never really lost it for five seasons, which is impressive. Uh, and the only Canadian entry on here. So I have to add something Canadian. Uh, nine. Uh, this one kind of just makes the cutoff for me. Uh, of the at least three seasons and it's the only streaming show on here stranger things which uh, i think we've talked about but you haven't seen before Not like seen it, it is no. it, it is such a good show i mean it, we're really living in this era of revisiting the 80s genres you know the the new ghostbusters trailer you know uh or new ghostbusters movie you know that seems to be very similar to like it's even got one of the actors from stranger things uh you know, obviously super eight came out earlier this year you know the all these things out there is just let's take this genre of like kids in kind of creepy movies in the eighties and poltergeist or whatever. And stranger things just nails it. But yet it doesn't feel like it's just, you know, a, a huge homage to that genre. It really has really complicated stories and incredible cast. Like the, the cast of kids they have is insane. And season one is by far the most addictive television I've seen in this entire decade. And it's shorter seasons, too, because I think it's only eight episodes per season. But it just it completely blew me away. And I'm almost one of these people who's I'm not like you. I'm not, a you know, I'm not not a streaming guy. But because of the commitment of most of the streaming shows being these binge worthy series and I'm not a binge watcher, I like to watch, you know, two episodes and then I'm done for a few days. But like Stranger Things, you know, I got through the seasons in a few days. Season two really took a hit. But it's one of these things where it's like it was OK, but forgettable. So if this had just been a two-season thing, there's no way this would have made my list. But season three was just amazing. And the production values are huge on this show. Uh, and it, the, the, just 
everything about this show is incredible. And I am not the type to really get into shows like this. So uh, I'm going to be a Ben here. It's like, I definitely recommend checking it out. <laughs> it's my best of the decade. <laughs> um, here's where you're going to call me an idiot because you watched one episode of this that we just happened to randomly pick the worst episode of it. But Impractical Jokers, oh. uh, non-scripted show on my list here. This is basically four guys, four comedians who you know grew up together as well in New York. And they just challenge each other to doing stunts in public this isn't like tom green you know i'm gonna uh lick a dead skunk on the road but it's things like going into a public place and your challenge is you have to get somebody to dance with you or you have to steal stuff out of people's you know shopping carts in a mall and you know sometimes these things go incredibly well and sometimes you get somebody trying to pick a fist fight with you and sometimes it's just it's just hilarious like you know they'll put them in front of a room and it's all improvised like these guys don't know what they have to do and you have to give a presentation but the other guys prepared the slides and the slides are things that are totally inappropriate in your front of children you know it's, it's a really hilarious show we just happened to pick the worst episode of impractical jokers ever to cover but this is the one i'm also not completely caught up on you know it's not like i've seen every episode you know they do like 20 episodes a year and it's been running for most of this decade so i haven't seen everything of it but i absolutely love this show um it is better than any other well there's one comedy on here that's higher but it is the funniest i don't laugh harder at anything than i do at impractical jokers so you're going to give it a dip, a second chance ben we did swept away so you owe me impractical jokers well that was a bad um, movie month there was a reason behind that <laughs> well fine we'll do good tv month and then we'll include my show impractical jokers and none of yours uh so <laughs> wow <laughs> Uh, we'll, we'll wait to see how your list finishes. Uh, this is the one that I, when you said, I don't think we're going to have any matches, the first thought in my head is, oh, we might have Scream Queens uh, mm. because you said it made your honorable mentions. But I had to break my rule of at least two seasons because this show is over. And those two seasons are just so good. Uh, this show works as a comedy. It works as a horror series. Uh, it, it, it's got the most insane cast out there. I there are so many actors going to the show that I'm like, I'm going to hate this show because I hate this actor. And then you end up loving him. Like, I'm not a Full House fan, so I hate John Stamos. John Stamos, Aww. amazing. on. I do not like Emma Roberts and anything. Emma Aww. Roberts, amazing. You think, you know, Abigail Breslin, the little girl Aww. from Little Miss Sunshine? <laughs> Let's just end it there. Amazing. <laughs> on many um, different levels. Yeah. <laughs> but... I got so excited this past week that, you know, it's it's not very close to being confirmed or anything, but I think it's just, like, the cast and Ryan Murphy are saying, like, if we had the right deal, we would bring this show back in a second. So I'm really holding out hope that maybe Netflix or somebody else could pick up a season three of Screen Queens, because uh, even on two seasons, like, I, I debated putting this on my best of all time list. That's how good it is. Um, another show that missed on my best of all time but could have easily made it, uh because it is an anthology series it's one of these things you don't have to watch from the beginning which is fargo uh fargo the movie you know one of the most brilliant movies ever made the first season of fargo kind of loosely retells that story even though it's in the same universe and it's a sequel and then the second season is like a backstory from 30 years earlier which i thought this isn't gonna work and then it does something like so crazy at the end of the second season where you're like okay nothing will ever top this Season three, they do a completely different type of story with Ewan McGregor playing twins of himself. Uh, and all, all these seasons are sort of, I'm guessing this is similar to American Horror Story. They're all loosely, very loosely connected where you watch me like, oh, that kind of ties into that. Or this is a character that appeared in everywhere else. But, 
you know, there's such a huge gap between these shows. You know, now they're they're eventually going to, I guess, in the next year, come out with season four. Uh, but it's just it's a perfect show, and I think season one might be you know one of the most brilliant seasons of television I've ever seen. Where it's like it is so cinematic, it is such brilliant storytelling, and and so in line with like the original Fargo movie, but just totally different at the same time. Um, and then number five, uh, the, the only comedy that survives on here, but of course I didn't discover this show until after it was over. Uh, are you familiar at all with happy endings, Ben? Um, I mean, I've never got a massage, so I've never had to pay for one. So I'm not, I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. So I know you, you, you're a big advocate for friends, which personally I kind of find annoying. Um, if you oh, like friends, what happy endings? <laughs> shut up. Imagine, imagine friends as a little bit of a satire um where you have the six lead characters you know they all just all they're all just hanging out they never seem to be at their jobs or do anything else uh you don't have an annoying you know audience laughing in the background but it's almost a parody of friends in a way uh because you get these extremely outlandish situations uh the cast of this like the most perfect comedy cast i've ever seen and yet none of these people seem to have gone on to do anything else other than guest spots uh, the only person you even know from the show is Alicia Cuthbert from 24, who is the least funny on the show. And even still, you're watching this, you're amazed that she actually can make you laugh, that, that she has, you know, s- some humor in her in her uh, in her repertoire. But it lasted three seasons. It was one of these cult favorite shows, and I never really gave it a chance. And then one day I just sort of watched it on Netflix. I'm like, this show is incredible. I've never actually really sat down and watched it start to finish, but it's one of these things where I'll watch episodes here and there. And it's never occurred to me that I've seen every episode multiple times until every time an episode pops up on TV and I record it. I'm like, oh, I've seen it, seen it, seen it, you know, so good. Um, it's so funny and easily the best comedy of the, the past decade. And another show that they talk about possibly bringing back on these days. Uh, now we're into the ones that actually made my all time uh, list uh, is number four, uh, Bates Motel, which just recently ended in the last two years, which is uh, kind of a re-adaptation, re tooling of the movie psycho which sort of starts as you think this is just the background of like norman bates and how he became you know the the villain of the movie psycho and then they do something so brilliant in the final season which is they actually catch up to the movie psycho but they put a spin on it uh it's just a perfect show and freddie highmore who started as the kid in finding neverland and charlie and the chocolate factory and now he's got an even more successful show with the good doctor on tv but he's just he's the perfect, like, the nicest, most awkward, you know, nerdy guy you've ever seen that is also the most dangerous serial killer you've ever seen. Um, I can't say enough. This show never got old. And whereas there are other shows I've talked about, like even my honorable mentions, like Arrow and The Flash, where it's like they had a couple good seasons, then a bad season. Like there is no such thing as a bad season of Bates Motel. I'm very sad that The Good Doctor hasn't made any of our lists, Colin. Um so. <laughs> The Good Doctor Oz coming soon. Um, yeah, look, I've heard of Orphan Black. It was that was made a big deal when it was released in Australia. I remember it was heavily promoted on the network it was on. So um, it's one of those ones where I kind of like, oh, maybe I'll watch that, but um, I never did. So I don't know why. Stranger Things definitely is for sure one I want to watch. Um, it is to me kind of the new Game of Thrones. The oh, have you seen Stranger Things? Have you seen Stranger Things? The difference between this and Game of Thrones is it looks like a show that I would like to watch and. Game of Thrones has never been a show that I think has never really appealed to me. Um, I'm not even going to comment on Practical Jokers. Uh, Screen Queens, yes, Yes. I love it. Um, And, yeah, I thought 
they had announced that it was coming back, or did I misread a headline or something like that? It's sort of misread, because I thought the same thing reading the headline, and then you read it further, like, oh, well, nothing's been talked about yet, but we'd be willing to do it. And this is just the brilliance of Ryan Murphy, because he's able to get these people, because like, I like John Stamos, I will admit, I liked Full House, and I actually thought he was fine in ER. Um, but, like, Jamie Lee Curtis, I mean, the one that I was like, Taylor Lautner, really? Um, but, you know, he was fine. Uh, Emma Roberts, I love Emma Roberts. Uh, Billy Lord, I love Billy Lord. Um, you know, like, I love... Michelle. Yeah, like, they were, a lot of them are in some of the American, like, I think it was, whichever American Horror Story season it was when they did the Witches season, uh, majority of them were in there. Um, but yeah, it's such a, like, I could, it took me so long to realize that it was just basically making fun of itself, because I, I remember watching it going, mm-hmm. is this meant to be funny, or is it meant to be serious? Like, I don't understand it, <laughs> but, like, that's what's brilliant about it, because, like, you just, it's just random and brilliant, and, like, Ryan Murphy, like, just the most Ryan Murphy show you can possibly get, because he just doesn't know what he's doing, and it's just so good. Um, never seen, far, I've never seen the movie, so I don't know really anything about it, just that's like, oh, North Dakota or something, isn't it? Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, happy it's ending. North Dakota Mafia. <laughs> right. Happy endings I was aware of because I think I do remember when that was out with Alicia Cuthbert in it because I think that was kind of the first thing she'd done since 24 that was semi-popular, wasn't it? Um, and Mallory had watched... Mallory watches that Netflix show with Ashton Kutcher in it that's got Alicia Cuthbert oh, in it as well. Yeah, Ranch or something. Yeah, so it's kind of odd seeing her in that. And she actually looks... She doesn't age, Alyssa Cuthbert, so she's doing well for herself. Um, And that's also got one of the Wayans (laughs) brothers in it. (laughs) She hasn't aged, so she's doing well. Not oh, she's funny, you know, she's she's (laughs) better than other actors for 24. You know, she still looks pretty good. She's doing well for herself. (laughs) I mean, no disrespect to Alicia Cuthbert, but, I mean, people didn't watch 24 for Kim Bauer's storyline and acting. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. (laughs) She seems like a nice girl. She's Canadian. She likes ice hockey. Good for her. But, um, you know. Married to ice hockey. <laughs> Even um, better. It's got one of the Wayans in it, doesn't it? Yeah, Damon Wayans Jr., yeah. I like the Wayans. So, yeah, that's one I watch. And, yeah, Bates Motel, again, I've never... Oh, okay, I shouldn't say I've never seen Psycho. We film studies. We had to analyze the shower scene and kind of do all that. But, um, yeah. Just, I bet you did. Yeah. Well, it, like, it's legitimately a filmmaking, you know, genius scene. So we had to, like, analyze kind of how it's brilliant and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I haven't seen that either. So I can't really say much about that. So, yeah. All right. Um, top three. Look, I'm just going to go through the top three. I know we're going to do this one by one. But look, we don't want to be here for eight hours like we did with the other ones. I think we yeah. can just go through this. So my top three, again... You're not going to be any surprise here if you remember our top 50 ones. Number three, last week tonight with John Oliver. Look... I I put David Letterman on my list um, in the top 50. I, I do love a good talk show. And there's just something about John Oliver's show that I just love so much because, as I mentioned in the top 51, like, it's, it's educational, it's funny. Like, it can get a bit preachy sometimes, but, I mean, at the same, it, it's not to the point where it's like, oh, God, I'm not going to watch this anymore. And I just think it's just he's just got such an intelligent style about the way he delivers things, and he's got such a great writing team behind him. And that's the style of show I would love to personally host. That real sarcastic, like, just humour at the same time of being educational. So, love Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. It's, you know, just something that I would watch occasionally and then I just ended up binging through everything and now I watch every single week without fail. Uh, number two, the only streaming show I've got on my list is House of Cards. 
I was a bit late to mm. the House of Cards party again. I kind of didn't watch it at the beginning, but then when I caught up with it, just addicted to it. We mentioned in our our top fifty ones, maybe one of the greatest single moments of television this entire decade in season two. Um, and look, the show was a dog's breakfast. Come the final season without Kevin Spacey, Robin Wright is amazing. She did everything she could. I'm not anything against Robin Wright in that final season. It was just badly written. It missed Kevin Spacey. Um, but to me, a large portion of that show, Robin Wright was the true star, but she just sadly couldn't hold it on her own in the end because of the bad writing. But just, like, it's addictive. It's so addictive, House of Cards, and I really want to go back and rewatch it again because there were just some moments in that, like, I just had my jaw to the ground. Like, And I never saw the British one, so I just, everything was new to me. And my number one for the decade, I actually think I swapped House of Cards and this one at the end, but um, to me... It's a similar anthology one. Again, It was, it's only a two-season one. We're going to have a third one next year. It's American Crime Story. Ryan Murphy takes number one spot. Look, the O.J. Simpson one was just absolutely incredible. Um, you know, I was way too young to really remember everything that happened around O.J. when all that happened. But just everything about that, the acting was incredible. Just so, so good. Everything was, like, perfect about that. And then even more so, the assassination of Gian Versace. Um, Darren Chris maybe the biggest transformation of anyone, of any actor in the entire decade, go from Blair or Blaine, whatever his name was in Glee, you know, this kind of, you know, preppy high private school, you know, um, singer who sort of was, you know, dealing with his sexuality and all this sort of stuff to go into this absolutely psychopathic serial killer, sadistic little prick that he was in that was just so good. And you think of things like Ricky Martin, like I know Ricky Martin started as an actor, but you know, just seeing him and Penelope Cruz and just so good. I think it got lost so much in the hype train that OJ Simpson brought with it. But I mean, Darren Chris rightfully so won all the awards he did for that it was brilliant. And I, for one, next year, 2020, the Monica Lewinsky, that's part, that's going to be part three. Like that's maybe the one TV show I'm eagerly anticipating the most in 2020 because yeah, I don't know if I've had any show that's, I mean, I know it's only two seasons, so it's not exactly a, a hard strike rate, but both seasons were nigh on perfect and just Ryan Murphy's best work came on American Crime Story this decade. And if you've not seen it, I can't recommend both seasons. enough. And again, you can watch them separately. You obviously don't need to watch them together. So yeah, that's my number one show of the decade, American Crime Story. Yeah, You know, um, I saw the first season, obviously with OJ Simpson, which is incredible. And if we were to do, you know, uh, a best of the decade for individual seasons, I could easily put that on there. I was sort of uncertain about the second season. Like the story itself wasn't really something that I I thought would be compelling or anything. So I never bothered to watch it. So I'm glad to hear that you do you think it's actually stronger than the first Uh season? Look, it's it's just it's different enough that it's hard to compare. I, I mean, I think the difference is is that most people are aware of OJ Simpson and what happened there, whereas yeah. I, for one, knew nothing about what happened with Versace. And I think the way it's done is it's not really linear. It's kind of very Quentin Tarantino esque, where it's like one episode's in the future, one's in the past. Like it's just it's all over the place. I'd love to watch a chronologically ordered one, but it's just it's just so compelling because like literally every episode I was reading more and more about this guy and everything and just the true stories and about everything and just just the unique connection because you all of a sudden be introduced to like these characters and you think, what has this got to do with anything? And then all of a sudden it ties into it so well and just the, the nature of the the character, and I can't remember his name, the murderer guy, Darren Chris's character, but just it's so layered, like this guy, why he was such a psychopath that ended up killing Versace and all these other people and it's just... 
it's just crazy good. It's just, it's just, you've got to see it. Like, it's just so good. Mm. Uh, it's almost similar to like my feelings on Fargo. You know, the first season, almost anybody would say is the best season because it's the biggest story. It's, you know, the most entertaining. It's, it's very similar to the original movie. Something, so some people are familiar with. And the second season is slower burn, less complex story. But to me, it just was so different and so, you know, unique and so interesting that like in some ways I preferred the second season of Fargo. Um, so I'm way more interested to see the second season now that you've said that. Uh, and I didn't even know that they were doing the, the Monica Lewinsky thing for the third season. Like that's, that's, you can, you can envision right now exactly how good that's going to well, be. Was, it, it's been put off so many times because initially season two was actually meant to be around, um, Hurricane Katrina. Then that got put on mm-hmm. the back burner, made number three. Then that was canceled. Monica Lewinsky won. Then that was canceled. But I think in light of everything with Trump, Ryan Murphy's gone, okay, we yeah. need to bring this up. And they've already announced a bunch of casting, like, um, Hillary Clinton's been cast and Bill Clinton, um, has been cast. Like, it's, it's, I think from what I remember, pretty incredible cast. And one of my favorite sort of random movies from this millennium was, uh, I think it was a special relationship. It was called, it was a TV movie about oh, yeah. the relationship between Tony Blair and Bill Clinton. I love movies around American presidents. Like I'm weird about that, but that was great. So, um, and also the, uh, was it the game changer or whatever it was with, uh, the, the Sarah Palin one. Oh Julianne yeah. Moore. <laughs> so like those were brilliant. And I, I mean, I can't imagine Ryan Murphy not making a brilliant thing. So yeah, I'm super stoked for that next year. Um, for your, the what's the the John Oliver show called? Last week tonight with John Oliver. Yeah, I, I've never seen it. I, I've seen a lot of those, you know, uh, Daily Show, Colbert Report type shows. You know, I'd watch on and off, but it's not some talk shows. I think just because it's on every single day, like I feel like this isn't must see. Where sometimes if you have a week to wait for an episode, that's one of the reasons why I'm so into The Mandalorian right now. Because as opposed to oh, there's ten. This the show looks great, but. <clears throat> They just dropped 10 episodes in one day. I don't know when I'm going to have time for 10 episodes. You know, I like that weight of, oh, okay, it's that time of the week again. I can watch the next episode. And doing that every single day is hard. You know, the, the one talk show host, I guess, that I've always been a huge fan of is Conan O'Brien. Mm. And it's not technically a show, but he does a series of specials every, a couple times a year called Conan Without Borders, mm-hmm. where it's it's not a talk show at all. It is him going to these countries around the world, and he gets into some serious topics there. But then it'll also just be like, oh, this is so different cultures, and he'll kind of make fun of things and you know be he the went idiotic. In Australia recently. Oh, did he? Oh, I haven't seen yeah. that one yet. Yeah, um, but he does. But he yeah, plays like, um, Australian football. He goes with the Sydney Swans and plays a bit of Australian <laughs> football with them. Yeah. Oh, I I really wish that was its own series, or that he would just transition to doing just that now, even if it is just specials, because like that is just such a brilliant, unique idea. Um, but that would be the closest thing I'd have to you know, wanting to include a talk show on there. Um, House of Cards, I did see the British uh, series first, all three, you know, seasons, I guess you could say of it, or it was more like three mini series. Um, so the early seasons of House of Cards were harder for me, whereas I feel like if I had gone in not seeing the British, I wouldn't have felt like it was a stretch out. Because I think season one, especially, your take they, they adapted it so closely that you're taking what was three movies. So let's say you know, six hours of, uh, or not even like four and a half hours of television, uh, for the original miniseries. And you're stretching that out into what, 10 to 13 hours of TV. It really just felt like, okay, this is just filler. They're just dragging things out. And it was too slow burn for me. Uh, so I got into that show more for the second season for doing something as unpredictable as they did, even though what they, the big twist at the beginning of season two 
was technically the ending of the British series. Hmm. But I felt like once they were able to distance themselves from the British series and just do original stories with, you know, season two or three, it just got better. Uh, season three is my favorite of all the seasons of that show. Um, I never uh, did see season five and uh, six is the final one with Robin Wright, right? Yes. Yeah. And I've never bothered to watch that one. You know, my, my original thought was I'll catch up on season five before season six. And then as soon as I saw the reviews coming out, like one of the worst things Five's ever made. Five's not that bad. Like, five, five, I actually five, like and, five. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I never was opposed to watching season five. It's just, it sort of came out and I never got around to watching it. And then I'm like, well, I'll watch it before season six comes out. Now, one, I, it's, I just always forget because Kevin Spacey's been erased from existence. I forget Kevin Spacey was ever a thing, you know, <laughs> and Aww. I forget House of Cards is even there. And, you know, it, it would be nice if, if you know, I could actually see that show again because I don't even know if it's on Netflix anymore. Like, who knows? Um, the first my top five aren't. <laughs> Maybe they've just yeah, got exactly. hey, original season. <laughs> cards. Season, six. season one. <laughs> um, my top three again. If you heard our, you know, best of the all time list, this you know is in the same order. I actually came very close to swapping Bates Motel into the third spot here, um, but I kept the original order just for now. Uh, number three, Game of Thrones. You know, as Ben said, he's never seen it, doesn't want to see it, but uh, I would highly recommend it, Ben. Um, if you you know are willing to forgive the later seasons when they ran out of material from the books or whatever, but like the first five seasons are just so good. Um, I'm kind of in the minority again, like House of Cards, where I feel like it actually got better, uh, particularly in season four and five. Uh, but even if you just watch, like if you commit to not watching all of Game of Thrones, but just watch season one for Sean Bean, because that's like Sean Bean's greatest role, you know, in in decades since Goldeneye. Uh, and one of the great, you know, uh, death scenes he ever gets. And just the, the oh, show's spoiler. ability. <laughs> it, there's no such thing as a spoiler when Sean Bean dies. <laughs> uh, it's a spoiler if he doesn't die, okay? <laughs> uh, but just the show's ability to kill off all their main characters, and then you start a season with characters that are be, like lower than supporting, you think, and they become the new leads. It's just crazy they're able to do that. Um, not quite a fan of the final season, although I think there's some good stuff in like season six and seven. Um, but I, I came close to swapping this with Bates Motel, but I had to stick with it because like the first five seasons are so strong for Game of Thrones. Uh, two, Covert Affairs. Um, this was a, a spy show that was on, I think it was the USA Network. And I just stumbled across it one day when I was having nothing to try to fall asleep, had nothing to do. You know, okay, here's a spy show. Let me watch it. And the first two seasons were basically a remake of Alias, which is, you know, one of my all time favorite shows. And then the third season, they distanced themselves for that and they made it more of a serialized show. Uh, and it basically became almost like 24 uh, without the whole, you know, real time format. And just the amount of 24 actors that appear in that as well. I mean, if, if you're a big fan of 24, you know, you should check out even with my brother. He refused to watch covert affairs because i think he watched an episode from season one and two and said this is he watched the first episode was like this is stupid it's cheesy whatever and i told him like forget it start at season three you you are going to miss some things but start at season three because it really becomes a different show and he became completely hooked on it for seasons three four and five and i'm still mad at jamie because uh the only one i was missing from my collection was season five and she got it for me for my birthday this past year and my birthday was, I think, six days before we moved. So I started watching season five and uh, uh, she had packed covert affairs away somewhere. And we have lived in this house now for 
I think seven months, and I still have not found my COVID repairs season five. So uh, <laughs> if somebody out there wants to loan me their copy so I could finish it, uh, I'd be very happy. And then number one, uh, the Americans. Uh, I when I was kind of doing research just to see, not doing research because I was pretty firm in what my ten shows were here from the beginning. Uh, but looking up, okay, is there anything I missed? I started looking up lists of what is the best shows of the decade. I was shocked at how often the Americans came up on other people's lists of best shows of the decade because it, it's a show that really flew under the radar. You know, it's an FX show that kind of took a backseat to Sons of Anarchy for so long just because of like the fandom of Sons of Anarchy, even though it was a much better show. And it never really got any love from the Emmys. I mean, Carrie Russell got uh, a, a nomination, I think, early in the series. Uh, and then in the last two seasons, people really caught on to it. And I think in the final seasons, I don't remember if it won the uh, Best Dramatic Series, but I know Matthew Reese, uh, who's now in the new Mr. Rogers movie with Tom Hanks, you know, he's really become a huge star off of the last season. He won the Emmy for Best Actor. Uh, it's a spy show that takes place in the 80s. Uh, so it's during the Cold War. But the, the most brilliant thing about it is just the twist that these are double a they're russian agents that have been posing as americans have raised their children their children think that they were born in america their children have no idea that they have been russian spies for 20 years and just them working and the neighbor is an fbi agent like the premise alone is just so different from any other spy show ever made i know noah's a huge fan of it and we we i've only done one review ever for the finale episode which i still hold might be the greatest finale in television history uh but i, I was just so happy that it wasn't just me because it's one of these shows where you sort of talk about that. Oh, I think I've heard about that. I don't know if I've met any other people who watch the Americans outside of like, I think I got my brother watching it and then Noah watched it. And then when you see these lists where it's like best show of the decade, of the Americans I'm like, yes, I'm not the idiot. Ben is. <laughs> it's a show that I've actually, I have wanted to watch. I've heard nothing but good things about it. And out of those three, it's probably the one that I would watch easily. So yeah, it's definitely one that I would like to, to see. Um, COVID affairs. I do remember when that was on and I think just kind of, when I saw the trailers and that, it just kind of looked like one of those, you know, oh, great, a cheesy spy movie uh, thing. Like, I thought it looked more like an alias or something like that. And I didn't, I never got into alias. Alias just confused me when I was young. So, and plus, I think, didn't alias come out around about the same as, um, was it Dark Angel, the Jessica Alba show? Yeah, I think Dark Angel was like, like a couple months before it, yeah. And my dad used to watch Dark Angel, and I just I didn't like Dark Angel, and I didn't like Jessica Alba, so I thought it was the same show, so I think I kind of lumped it in there. <laughs> but I remember my friend in high school was obsessed with Alias. But anyway, um, so, yeah, I mean, COVID Affairs, just something that I've never really looked in. Yeah, Game of Thrones, shut up. I'm getting sick of people telling me to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, movies, I, I think, honestly, I think we could just do the same thing we just did for movies. I mean, really, we've gone yeah. through this nice and quickly. I think we're on a bit of a roll here, so... Um, this was a little bit more tricky, I think, because looking at my top 50 list, I actually didn't have that many in the 2010s. I only think I only had about mm-hmm. four of these, maybe. Um, and I again, I didn't really write honourable mentions, but I've just noted a few down sort of while recording this. So a few notable mentions that I remember I did have my list, which I've removed. Uh, Shazam legitimately made my notable, like nearly made my top 10. I fucking love Shazam. That was a fantastic movie. Um, and yeah, I nearly snuck it in there. Um you're going to hate me for putting this here, but I don't give a shit. Black Swan. Um, legitimately oh, loved Black Swan. I knew Black- you were going to say that. <laughs> I loved Black Swan and just Natalie Portman, Oscar worthy. She won it. Great. It's just warped and creepy and just so odd and strange. And we recently went and saw Swan Lake. And the whole time I'm just thinking like, oh, when's she going to start peeling her skin off? And like, when's she going to start like turning into this? Um, 
a couple of like the Oscar ones that we've done. So like I really enjoyed Shape of Water and I really enjoyed Three Billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. They were two that I really, really thought about putting in there to try and be like, oh, I'm going to be one of those trendy people and put the Oscar winners in there. Um, which, having said that, there's a couple on my list that have won Oscars. So, you know, I'm not just that way. Um, Ant-Man, like I just had to think of a Marvel movie <laughs> and like legitimately yeah. Ant-Man would have been my choice in there and Doctor Strange, a couple of them. And like, event, the Avengers Endgame as well was pretty good. I haven't rewatched really it, but, um, you know, a couple of those out there as well. Um, no Star Wars movies have made my list. If I had to choose, like Solo was my favourite out of all of them, but, you know, that's an unpopular choice. Force Awakens is entertaining, but we, we've picked a lot of problems with that. You know Last Jedi's not going to make it and you know Rogue One's not going to make it. Um... Skyfall is an honourable mention, which that's not to say that will be the last time I talk about a James Bond movie very shortly. Um, and, yeah, they're my honourable mentions. <laughs> I think they're just the ones I've quickly noted down. Do you have some honourable mentions? <laughs> um, I forgot Skyfall was his decade, so... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not going to change my list just because I can't figure out where I would place it right now, but, like, Skyfall would probably be top five if it wasn't for that. Uh, you know what? I'm going to do something here. I'm going to scratch a movie. I'm going to scratch a movie because I do have to include Skyfall. What did you no scratch? Way I can. Well, that becomes an honorable mention. I, I, okay, I'm scratching it for a good reason because when we started making this list up, I was reserving a spot for The Rise of Skywalker, assuming that if there's one Star Wars movie that is going to be worthy of making this, it's going to be that. I did have The Force Awakens on here, but um, I, I kind of agree with what you say. I mean, there's enough flaws with it. I don't want to have that on here and then go back and look at this list a month from now and be like, it shouldn't rise of Skywalker. I don't know when this episode's going up, but at the time we're recording this, Rise of Skywalker has not come out. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to scratch The Force Awakens now. Thank you for reminding me of well, just, I just think, like, I mean, you and I are both obviously big enough Bond and Star Wars fans that, to me, they're the ones I look at straight away. But if this was the 2000s, Revenge of the Sith is going to be on that top 10 list for sure. But yeah. I don't, I just can't put Force Awakens or Solo on there purely just because they're a Star Wars movie, whereas I can easily put a Bond movie, and clearly you know what it's going to be because there was only two Bond movies this decade, on my list because, to me, it is a top ten movie of the decade, in my opinion. And as far as my criteria goes, I mean, similar to you, you know, I have some variety on here. I I made my first list, and I wasn't sure how many movies we're going to have on here, and I had, like, 25 movies. Um, And when I started to actually narrow them down... I didn't have the criteria I originally had for our um, best of all time where I said, I'm going to stick with one per franchise because I don't want, you know, 25 out of my 50 to be Star Wars and James Bond movies. So I said one per franchise. I didn't originally have that until I looked at my initial top 10 list and 30% of it was made up of Mission Impossible movies. (laughs) So I decided one per franchise just for that reason, especially since we're only doing 10 movies here. Uh, But having said that, you know, Rogue Nation and Fallout, you already narrowed down what my... Mission Impossible is on here is going to be those would have easily been in the top 10 had it not been for that. Um, and uh, my other honorable mentions uh, also along the lines of didn't just want to flood it. You know, I, I could have included a lot of DC and Marvel movies on here. Like you said, Endgame, you know, could have been on here for me. Uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, for sure. I, I was very close to putting in my top 10, but yeah, I didn't just want a list of just all superhero movies or Mission Impossible movies or whatever, you know, because I, I'm much happier with the variety I have in here because you do have to look at movies differently. There are a couple of like Oscar nominee movies on here that would have been more like Oscar month movies. Uh, but 
even though I would personally rather pick up the Winter Soldier and watch it over some of these, these movies are so strong that it's like you can't not include it because they are, you know, just perfect movies that just completely blow your mind. Uh, but honorable mentions on here, Wonder Woman, you know, incredible, groundbreaking movie. Um, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, oh, so wanted to put that on here. Uh, but the top ten I had, I just couldn't find, you know, uh, something to knock off. Um, Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy, you know, we talked about Gary Oldman for um, the, the Winston Churchill one, The Darkest Hour. But uh, Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy, greatest performance of his career, hands down. Maybe the greatest spy movie ever made. Um, and, and shocking that this movie has sort of been forgotten, like, almost a decade later. Uh, Warrior, which is um, uh, an MMA movie with Joel Edgerton and Tom Hardy playing brothers who have to fight each other in a tournament. It sounds like a cheesy sports movie, but it's like so dramatic, so deep and uh, really intelligent. And Nick Nolte playing like their drunken father. It's more of like a, you know, character drama uh, than it is a sports movie. But once it gets into being the sports movies, it, it's the only movie I could think of this last decade I watched that actually made Jamie cry, like sob like a baby. And yet it, you would watch it and think this is 100% a guy's movie, uh, two brothers fighting an MMA. It's just incredible. Uh, and then the last honorable mention here, uh, really wanted to put this on it because I'm, I've really found like animation has stepped up in this decade. You know, there's things like Toy Story 3, which is just incredible. Um, I think Toy Story 3 was this decade. It but was. Um, that, That's actually, I should have mentioned an honorable mention as well. That was 2010. Mm. So, yeah. But also in 2010, uh, in my opinion, uh, stronger anime movie, How to Train Your Dragon. Uh, this is the only anime movie I can think of that just plays so perfectly as it is a cartoon movie for kids. And then an adult can watch it and feel like they're watching a giant Star Wars epic fantasy movie, uh, you know, with action adventure and everything. And it doesn't feel like a kid's movie because I watch this once and I feel like this is uh, this could be a live action blockbuster. And then I watch it a second time, like, oh, it can kind of be a kid's movie. But this entire franchise, I'm just obsessed with the How to Train Your Dragon movies. And, and the best soundtrack, hands down, of the last decade is How to Train Your Dragon. Um, easily the best anime movie. And I don't, I don't think it got nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. I know it won Best Original Score, but like, uh, I sort of, between that, that year where Toy Story 3 became the first movie in, like, what, 20 years to get nominated uh, for Best Picture or whatever. Or I think Up might have done it before that. But when it did get nominated for Best Picture... You know, the first thought in my head is why wasn't it How to Train Your Dragon? But uh, yeah. those are my main honorable mentions. And then, as I said, lots of other superhero movies could have been on there. Mallory loves How to Train. How to Train. I've never seen it, but um, I look Toy Story three. I I tossed and turned about it, but um, it's tricky. Like I know it's a hard thing to detract away from a movie. Like Toy Story four, just uh, it was fine. It just the ending ruined what it. Yeah, and it makes me angry about Toy Story this year. But also, um, I'm a bit of a Toy Story two lover more so than Toy Story three. Oh, Toy, yeah. Story, Toy Story three gets it's all the fun. love, yeah. But I think the tri- the first three are just so good. I think they're just so complete. Mm-hmm. But like, if I had to rank them, I I would almost put Toy Story two nearly at the top. Like, I I know I put Toy Story okay. one on my top fifty, but um. Yeah, I think Toy Story 2 gets lost in the love for Toy Story 3. But then I think the the love that Toy Story 3 got for its emotional ending is destroyed by the ending of Toy Story 4. So, <laughs> anyway. Um, I'm actually very surprised Wonder Woman didn't make your top 10. I thought that was going to make mm-hmm. your top 10. So uh, There's so a from- reason why, which it, it comes down to that whole, you know, you don't want to flood too much with the... It's not part of the franchise, but yeah, we'll, okay. we'll talk about it in a few minutes. 
Well, from 10 down to 4, speaking of that very franchise, at number 10, Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, I don't give a shit about the hate that I'm going to get for that because I know I got that for putting in my top 50, but I still love Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. All the haters can go to hell um, because I think it's a great movie. The the extended edition just makes it even greater. I left that cinema, jaw to the ground, loving every single minute of it. And to me, it was the movie that we had all been waiting for. And I loved the the take that they had on it, kind of adding on Man of Steel with the reaction from the world. And just, I loved it. I loved Batman v Superman. And it's kind of, as much as I like the comedy that Shazam brought and kind of everything that they've done since in the DCEU, I still also wish they had kept some of this dark tone, which they seem to be steering away from. So... Um, it was a toss-up between that and Justice League for me, but I ended up putting Batman v Superman in there because um, I don't know how people would have thought about Justice League being in there, let alone Batman v Superman. Um, I don't give a shit what people think. This is my list. Get fucked. Um, number nine, I have uh, The Social Network, which I thought didn't come in at 2010s, but it did. It was a 2010 film from memory. Um, and I think I've actually only seen this movie like twice, but it's still one of these ones that I automatically know I loved. And I, it's kind of also one of these ones which everybody loves and you, you don't want to be one of those people like, oh, just because everyone loves it, I don't need to love it. But it really was that good. Um, that was another um, Adam Sorkin movie, well, product too, mm-hmm. wasn't it? And Jesse Eisenberg, yeah. who is woeful. It's funny how I've gone from one movie, which I think he was woeful in, to just absolutely incredible. And Adam Garfield, brilliant. Justin Timberlake. Andrew. Andrew. Andrew Adam. Garfield. Yeah. What did I say? Andrew, Adam, Mr. Garfield. Corey, um, Carrie, who knows? <laughs> Fukunungwa Garfield. Um, <laughs> but just like, it's, I remember when that first was announced as like the Facebook movie, you kind of think like, is this really a thing? Isn't Facebook only like two years yeah. old? Do we really need this? But it's actually really incredible to see this story and everything about it. And just, it's just a fascinating movie and a really well put together movie. Number eight, I vaguely think you don't like this movie. I I think we've talked about it, but I can't remember. Silver Linings Playbook. Um, no, no, no. Like that no, one. you do like that movie. Okay. This is just one of those random ones that I think I went... I had no... I don't know why we went and saw this at the movies. It was just like, oh, there's some movie out which sounds good. Let's go see it. I was just blown away with how incredible it was. I mean, Bradley Cooper, this man is just fantastic. This is probably the only thing I've ever seen Jennifer Lawrence in, maybe, period. Uh, but like, I actually really liked her in it. She obviously won the Oscar for it. Um, Robert De Niro, um, Australia's own mother, whatever her name is. I can't remember her name. I've become... Thank you very much. Uh, and Chris Tucker, like Jesus Christ, yeah. Chris Tucker playing like a pretty laid back role and showing that he ac- actually can really act. Um, really, really love Silver Linings Playbook. It's one of these movies that I often, again, similar to The Social Network, that I just forget how much I love it and I need to watch more. So, uh, yeah, Silver Linings Playbook on there. Number seven, Spectre. Um, arguably, people don't say that's the best Bond movie of the decade. They say it's Skyfall. But as um, you know, I've constantly talked, Spectre's, to me, my favourite Craig movie. It just really takes us back to what Bond was. Um, you know, it's just... And Christoph Waltz is so goddamn good in it. The song's crap, but like the opening sequence alone just sells you on it and just so good. I, I, I finally fell in love. Like I didn't fall out of love with James Bond. It's a different take since Daniel Craig took over, but really made me feel like how Bond used to be. Number six, uh, one that you and I, I know both really like, Get Out. Um, mm. 
just something that I didn't think really too hard when we went into our Oscar rewatch last year about whether I would enjoy this movie or not because it's not really a genre film I like, kind of almost a horror sort of movie. But there's just something unique about this film, about how good it was, how much it hooked you into it, how tense it was and the acting and just everything about it was so goddamn good and I need to watch it again. Number five, Baby Driver. Again, another movie oh. which I didn't didn't really have a much going into it. I was like, oh, yeah, this. I think a friend just was like, hey, I want to go see this movie Baby Driver. Do you want to come see it? I'm like, sure. Didn't really know much about it. Hooked in the opening moments of it, the way that they blend the music in with the action and the editing, robbed of like about three editing Oscars um, at the Academy Awards. Um, but so good. Another Kevin Spacey little gem that it's uh, promptly been forgotten about, but um, such a good film. And number four, bring on the hate. Don't give a shit. Here it is, Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, oh. Just walked out of that movie just instantly in love with it. I, I almost going- did too. <laughs> oh, sorry. You're the end of your sentence. <laughs> I wanted to walk back in and see it again. Uh, just absolutely loved everything about it. Uh, fuck you, Colin. Rami Malek deserved every plaudit he got for it. It was a brilliant movie, and I want to go watch it again because I love Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, how many times do we have to talk about Bohemian Rhapsody on this podcast? I can bring up Titanic like again. <laughs> oh, oh. I mean, I would watch Titanic again over Bohemian Rhapsody. Like, here's the thing: Bohemian Rhapsody, it's a fine movie as you know, an average biopic. But I mean, I summed it up best the many times I said this: it is no different than one of these VH1, you know, made-for-TV biopics that are just cheap and and you know, poorly produced and. <laughs> half fictionalized and literally just casting people who are lookalikes instead of anybody who really you know does character there is not much of a story there and the story they have is so twisted so fictionalized that it might as well have just been a fiction story about a band not called queen and a guy not called freddie mercury because nothing in this movie happened other than the concert at the end which is the only good thing about the movie freddie mercury Um, got aids yeah he did but but like, he was called Freddie it's, Mercury. It, it's such a confusing idea that the band members, it's like the, the, the band members that Brian Singer are almost treating him with such reverence in this movie. And yet when you actually, if you actually pay attention to what happens in the script, it's like Freddie Mercury is written like a complete dirtbag and they're with no redeeming qualities whatsoever. But yet they, they're presenting him in this movie like somebody to be revered. Do I think he was a dirtbag? No, I feel like. They had no story and no drama to tell, so they literally just came up with a bunch of crap and didn't realize breath, they were son. making him look bad. Take a breath. Come on. Ideally, I, I would say, honorable mention, I forgot to, Rocket Man on a similar page. Um, Haven't yeah. seen it yet, but I'm You'd sure like it's better it than, better than Bohemian Rhapsody. Rhapsody. Um, yeah, Bohemian Rhapsody is just garbage. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, the other ones you got on there, I mean, Batman versus Superman, I mean, that's another of these ones when I had the much larger list I would have included in there, but didn't want to flood it with so many from, you know, one franchise uh, as the DCU is still a franchise. Uh, Social Network. Um, love this movie just like you do. I just, I, I have a hard time because it is clearly a true story that is being, sli- it's like the betrayal. It's, I, I said a similar thing with the review we did of Vice. And again, I'm not like a Dick Cheney supporter or anything, but that was a movie that took real events with Dick Cheney and just totally bombarded you with a slanted opinion. And and that's sort of the way I feel like about the social network. Did it make it a more dramatic story? Yes. 
but like in no way do I believe that is Mark Zuckerberg. You know, that is a movie portrayal of Mark Zuckerberg. It is taking events and dramatizing it. And again, I'm not knocking. I think it makes it a better movie for that purpose. But it is kind of hard to watch where you're taking a real guy who's alive and you're you're trying to convince the world this is the way he really is when he's actually kind of the polar opposite. But great. And, and you know, Jesse Eisberg, like you said, fantastic. Justin Timberlake, good in that movie. But Andrew Garfield, like I just remember watching that. And I think this it came out when he had been announced as Spider-Man, but hadn't you know appeared as Spider-Man yet. And I was just I was not just blown away by Andrew Garfield. Like, I was just in love with his performance in that movie. Like he is the real star of that, in my opinion. Um, and yeah, I can't say enough good things about the movie. It's just it's kind of difficult. Um, Civil Lines Playbook. I absolutely love the movie. I'm a huge David O. Russell fan. Like I'll watch anything the guy makes. Three Kings, you know, is one of my favorite '90s movies, and and probably still the best movie he's ever made. Um, he even made a movie called I Heart Huckabees, which is mm. generally regarded as being crap that I thought was pretty good. Um, the Fighter, obviously, with Christian Bale and Mark Wahlberg, you know, an amazing movie. American Hustle, love that. Um, the only thing I hold against Civil Linings Playbook, because it, it is the first thing I think I saw Bradley Cooper in, where I'm like, okay, he is decent. Um, Jennifer Lawrence was great in the movie, like you said, everybody was. But the only thing I hold against is that it started the relationship of David O. Russell and uh, Jennifer Lawrence, which... She had a small role in American Hustle. You know, that's fine. Uh, but then it gave us the movie Joy, which was <laughs> a, a couple of years ago, which is so bad. Um, <laughs> you want to talk about something that's worse than Bohemian Rhapsody. Joy is so much worse. Uh, that's the only reason I would hold anything against Civil Linings Playbook, because it's such a good movie. Um, and, you know, Spectre, you know, we, we've talked about our feelings on that on 007 a lot. Again, I've, I've watched the movie multiple times. I enjoy it. I just don't find that the second half of the movie really holds up. Uh, as well as the first half does, and it's definitely not the best Bond movie. Get Out is so good. Oh, love that movie. Um, Jamie is more obsessed with it than I am. Uh, she's watched that movie since it's been on Netflix the last couple of months. She's probably watched it at least once a week. <laughs> wow. And I, I think the thing that um, the thing that's so good about and for her to watch a movie once a week that does not feature a shirtless man that she's in love with, you know, that says something. <laughs> it, there's nothing superficial. She just loves the movie. Uh, but I think we said it so well when we reviewed that movie originally. What works about Get Out is that it is it's saying something political. It's saying something is social commentary, but it is not cramming it down your throat. You know, it's doing it in a subtle way and almost a satirical way. But it actually does make you think in ways that you wouldn't think before. You know, similar to something like Wonder Woman uh, and it's not in the, the way the story is, but like Wonder Woman. Uh, I've said this many times. Uh, it was an action movie that was presented directed by a woman. And it just made you look at it from a slightly different lens. We're like, this is what an action movie looks like through the eyes of a woman, Patty Jenkins and seeing a movie like get out, which is, you know, it's not a movie uh, about, about black and white culture. It is a sign. As far as I'm concerned, a science fiction style horror movie that, and just seeing a genre movie told through the, the eyes of a black man it just gave you a different perspective. And I think that's why it worked because he didn't make it about the political messages. It was just, it's a brilliant movie. Um, if I had thought of that, about that, that might've been on my list as well. <laughs> um, same thing with baby driver. I mean, I'll give that as an honorable mention. Now, no, I wanted to see that movie so bad. We actually drove two hours out of Winnipeg to go to the only drive-in theater left. Cause I'm, I want to see baby driver at a drive-in movie theater. And then they had sound quality and picture issues. And 20 minutes into the movie, they tried to restart it. And five minutes into the restart, they said, uh, sorry, we're not going to be able to show this tonight. Uh, so we're just going to continue. We're going to continue to play it as is. 
that I actually I held off on watching the movie for a long time because I was just so disappointed I couldn't see it on the big screen. But when I did watch it, I'm like, it's amazing. And I really hope they make a sequel out of it. Uh, there might be something popping up of uh, Edgar Wright as a director on my list coming up. Uh, not Baby Driver, but that would probably be you know, one of his other great movies. Adult um, and then again, yeah, Adult Driver. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Bohemian Rhapsody, I'll just say it again. Total trash. <laughs> Sorry. Um, my top ten list here. So uh, kicking it off with uh, the only Marvel movie to make my list, uh, even though, as I said, there probably would have been Captain America Winter Soldier in here, maybe Avengers Endgame if, you know, I hadn't decided to cap myself. But uh, really the ultimate Marvel movie, the most different Marvel movie. Um, I got into a huge debate with uh, one of my nephews about two weeks ago when he was saying the Winter Soldier was the best Marvel movie. I said, no, it's Doctor Strange. And he yeah. said, Doctor Strange is overrated. And I'm like, first of all, Doctor Strange can't be overrated because most people no. don't rate it. It's like, <laughs> yes. it's like, yeah, it's there. And then you mentioned Doctor Strange. But like, I can't tell you how many people who have been like, oh, you know, these are all the Marvel movies I love. I'm like, you know, Doctor Strange is the best. I'm like, oh, yeah, Doctor Strange. That was really good. And like, it, it's just so different. It's like Inception in the Marvel Universe. And I, I think even though they tried different things with Winter Soldier, let's make like a political drama you know, and Guardians of the Galaxy, obviously, like a space opera. You know, Doctor Strange, as far as I'm concerned, is when they let's take a different style of filmmaking and make a Marvel movie in it. So, you know, whereas a lot of Marvel movies just tend to be carbon copies of each other, I feel like Doctor Strange sort of started this new trend of each movie has its own identity. And Benedict Cumberbatch, I mean, just perfect in this. And I was, you know, even though I was a big Benedict Cumberbatch fan coming into this, you know, I couldn't have said that I was like, the biggest Doctor Strange fan. So I wasn't like, oh, that's perfect casting or whatever. When you see this movie, you're like, there couldn't be anybody else for it. And it's the only time in any Marvel movie since Iron Man, I felt like this is the guy that could be the new, you could, you could kill off Robert Downey Jr. I wonder if they're going to do that ever. Uh, (laughs) And you've got a new lead for your franchise. You know, a a, a guy that the entire franchise can be built around. It's just such an amazing movie. Um, number nine for me, Jack Reacher. Uh, this is, I wouldn't say it's a forgotten Tom Cruise movie because it is, I think, outside of Mission Impossible, technically the only sequel, at least up until the point that, you know, a few years ago when they made the second Jack Reacher came out that he ever made. But it was sort of like Mission Impossible had come out or Ghost Protocol had come out and revived his career. And then Jack Reacher came out and there were, it was a lower budgeted movie. It's, you know, kind of just your typical military police you know revenge jerry action film was sort of his introduction to the jerry action genre which i'm a huge fan of uh and i think it made like you know a little less than 100 million dollars but it was just the surprise of most people expected this movie will make 40 or 50 million dollars and it gained such a huge cult following and i just remember seeing this in theaters with a friend of mine who's uh, who watches all the mission impossible movies with me as well we're both huge tom cruise fans and mission impossible fans and this was sort of like oh this little movie tom cruise is doing and uh, he walked out saying, I think this is better than any Mission Impossible movie. And Jamie, who hated, hated, hated Tom Cruise, even after watching some of the good Mission Impossibles with me, watched Jack Reacher and was like, all right, I'm into Tom Cruise now. I get it. <laughs> it's so different for him. Uh, and I'm a huge fan of the books as well now that this is based on. But it's such a simple movie. It's just, just you know, this one man killing machine who barely talks and – Tom Cruise, who's like a small guy, and in the book he's written as like six foot four and like two hundred and fifty pounds of muscle, and yet Tom Cruise pulls this off. It's just, it, it's the first one is such a good movie, and they're doing a TV series now, which is exciting. But I'm kind of disappointed, like the second one was just okay because I feel like this could have been his other great franchise, especially as like an older actor he can continue doing. 
number eight, um, if I were to pick the movie of the decade as far as like, you know, if you were to do Oscars of the decade, this would be number one for me. This is the single best movie I've seen this decade, although since I'm kind of mixing up with some movies just on entertainment value, it's their number eight, uh, Whiplash, uh, which uh, was a very tiny movie that even before the Oscars came out, it was sort of like nobody had heard of it. And then it went on to win multiple Oscars. And obviously the biggest one being for JK Simmons for supporting actor. Um, I will say JK Simmons supporting role in whiplash is the greatest acting I've seen in the last 10 years. Uh, the movie, if nobody knows about it is miles teller, you know, who's sort of popped up in a few things here and there. Uh, most notably the bad fantastic four remake, but uh, he plays this young you know music school student you know jazz drummer uh who sort of gets given the spot and jk simmons is incredibly abusive uh band leader i guess or the the teacher and it plays almost more like a sports movie than it does a movie about jazz musicians uh because it's all about the competition and like the lengths that this kid will go to to impress this teacher and to gain this spot and the teacher who really is like an abusive sports coach completely abusive is just amazing movie and i remember seeing this not expecting anything out of it and as soon as it ended i said i will be shocked if any other movie this decade comes out that's better than this uh seven life of pi this was another probably the first time i saw anything in this decade where i'm like that is totally unique totally brilliant and still to this day probably the greatest use of 3d i've ever seen you know ang lee who did like crouching tiger hidden dragon you know uh, obviously like gives us a, a very unique visual style but what was amazing to me it wasn't just one of these movies where like those effects are incredible because it's basically cast away you know with a tiger on a boat i mean it's a, <laughs> it's it's this kid who's you know shipwrecked and on a boat surviving with a tiger and it, it, it's presented in almost this fantasy like way where you're seeing like these incredible visuals and uh you know lots of colors and, and effects but it's just a kid on a boat but the movie has like so much heart to the story that i was shocked with is that when it finishes you're like wow that was just such a brilliant ending and such a brilliant story i don't know if you've ever seen it but no it's a totally unique movie it's a feel-good movie it's like a great survival movie like castaway and i love those type of movies um six uh so this got bumped down a spot this actually got bumped down two spots from my initial rankings uh one for a movie that we've already talked about which i forgot and then another which i'll get to in a second but uh shazam this is the reason why i couldn't include wonder woman in here because i just i didn't want to just flood it with all one franchise because shazam is not just the best dc movie not just the best of like the modern dc marvel age but probably the first time i've seen any type of superhero movie since superman the movie i maybe mix x-men 2 in there as well where i'm like this just reminds me why superhero movies are great because aside from it being just a hilarious movie you know it, it's got great action in there too it just had it felt like it had like a superhero heart to it it felt like when you watch spider-man for the first time you know when uncle ben dies and you don't expect it because it is just sort of a funny movie but just this, this story about this you know foster kid who feels like nobody loves him like there's moments in the movie that almost gets you choked up and and there's moments you just you just want to cheer and like Mark Strong is the villain was just incredible and uh, I'm I'm a big fan of Shazam comics as well which helped but uh, I mean you ranking this highly enough to say is like your honorable mention is just it's oh it's such a good movie and the mm -hmm. ultimate superhero movie of this decade in my opinion and my number five 
another movie that bumped this down uh, only within the last two weeks, uh, Zero Dark Thirty, which is, uh, I guess you could say it's about the hunt for Osama bin Laden, uh, even though the movie is technically about the hunt for Osama bin Laden's courier, uh, who <laughs> sort of inadvertently leads them to Osama bin Laden. Uh, it's a long movie. I think it's like two hours and 45 minutes. It takes place over the course of a decade. You know, it's not really your typical like spy movie because it's more about the the back office stuff in the CIA. It's a lot about analyzing and uh, Jessica Chastain. If I were to pick a second performance this decade that was like, you know, greatest performance you've ever seen, it would be Jessica Chastain in this movie. Um, I'll be a lifelong fan of hers just because of how good she is in Zero Dark Thirty. And it's really a, like 100% her movie. <clears throat> like I'd say... Screen time wise, I mean, she dominates this. And the weirdest thing about it is that she's barely in the last half hour of the movie, even though it is like 100% her movie. And then you have all these small actors that pop up, you know, here and there, like James Gandolfini and Kyle Chandler and Jason Clark, uh, you know, Joel Edgerton, Chris Pratt. This was like his first big movie role before Guardians of the Galaxy. And yet all those small roles who are only in it for like five or 10 minutes, like they steal the show in the scenes they're in. So it's not like Jessica Chastain just sidelines everybody it's like the perfect cast for a movie where hardly anybody gets to do anything and then for a movie where, where you would think next to nothing happens i mean also the first time i saw this movie i remember not really being as blown away by it because i was very caught off by the fact that it took place over a decade and then you sort of ignore it you're like you know this just plays as like a great spy movie um and i had this lower on my list quite a bit lower in my top 10 even though it was on the top 10 and then I think two weeks ago, I just you know, decided to put it on a Netflix. And I'm like, okay, no, this thing's definitely bumped up there. It just gets better with time. And it's kind of sad that this lost best picture, um, you know, the year was out. Because I feel like this is one of these movies that really should be remembered. And if it had won, it probably would have. Uh, and then number four, uh, the movie I forgot, Skyfall. <laughs> uh, pretty close to a perfect James Bond movie. Still one of my top Bond movies of all time. Uh, wouldn't quite crack my top three, partly because I'm coming unprepared to this, but also because the top three sort of introduced something new that I had never seen before. But I mean, we, we can talk all day about Bond on 007, but uh, I'll just say right now, Skyfall, thank you for reminding me, because if I had not included Skyfall, this would have been like six months from when I look back on the list and I'm just kicking myself because I forgot a Bond movie. Um, Skyfall was... Yeah, I love Skyfall. It was, again, as I always say, it was just that one Bond movie you kind of walk out and you're like, huh, well, I don't know how I feel about that, but it was unique and just, wow, okay. Um, and it's still, I would say, the most unique James Bond film we've ever had. So, and robbed of getting more award nominee, no, like... Roger uh, Moore. Ro- Roger Moore. I, I kind of feel <laughs> like, you know, if if like Black Panther gets a, an Academy Award nomination and like, you know, superhero movies are kind of falling into that trap now where they can get nominations and things like that. I feel like Bond is still overlooked when it comes to that side yeah, of things. They missed can, the boat on this. Yeah. I mean, Javier Bardem should have gotten a nomination. Um, yeah. This should have been nominated for Best Picture. And yeah. So, and still the most Judy successful. Dench. <laughs> Judy Dench. Uh, sorry, Daniel Craig. You, you're not bad. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> You're not Judy um, Dench or <laughs> I liked Zero Dark Thirty. I've only seen it once. Um, I I do remember vaguely being bored in some aspects of it, um, but it's been a while since I've seen it, so I'd like to see it again. Because didn't they only add all the Osama Bin Laden stuff on right at the end just because it happened basically while they were filming it or something like that? Or wasn't... No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no I don't so I think <laughs> I think they, moved, they decided to make a movie because it was based on the book, I guess, or a book. 
multiple books after it happened. But right. I mean, it does feel like a different movie when you get to that, because again, your lead characters suddenly taken out of the movie and you're just following, you know, these soldiers, but yet, you know, it's, it's so intense, even though half the movie you can't see, cause it's just night vision, you know, it's just, oh, mm. incredible. Uh, Shazam. Absolutely. I had that in my honorable mentions. It's a fantastic film. And, um, yeah, I would have had that in there probably as well. Had yeah, I'm similar to you. I didn't want to have lots of just superhero movies and that in there. Uh, never seen Life of Pi. I wouldn't mind seeing Life of Pi. I like Pi, and I'm sure a Life about <laughs> Pi is pretty good. So you know, and same with Whiplash. I always see the clips online of J.K. Oh. Simmons and just want to see it. So definitely one that I want to watch. Jack Reacher. Not so. I always get Jack Reacher confused with um, what's the one where Tom Cruise like dies every two seconds and keeps getting brought back to life. Oh, Edge of Tomorrow. There's another honorable mention for me, sorry. Right. <laughs> and my dad always tells me how good Jack Reacher is, so I need to watch yeah. that. And, uh, yeah, I love Doctor Strange. To me, it's the second best Marvel movie behind Ant-Man. So, yep, yeah, absolutely. Another uh, honorable mention I just want to put out there as a Jurassic Park fan, uh, Fallen Kingdom for the uh, the cheap thrills and oh. stupidness that it is and <laughs> the uniqueness that it brought to the franchise. Like, I'm not going to put Jurassic World. I'd put Fallen Kingdom over Jurassic World. So, um, yeah, anyway. Uh, but it wouldn't make my top 10, no. <laughs> I can admire it for the stupidness that it is. Uh, mm. My top three... So number three, actually, this is a fairly recent film and I didn't think it was going to make it this high, but it has. Joker. Um, I, I loved it. I just loved it. I just just walked out of that movie just, just in awe of how great that movie was. And you talk about single greatest performances of the decade, probably Joaquin Phoenix in that movie. Just, just trans into this great character and just the the level of entertainment, the level of shock, the uncomfortableness of this movie brought. Like just it, after a pretty rubbish twenty nineteen, and we all can agree mm. that there's been a pretty shit year for films. And hopefully that's not an omen for the rise of Skywalker, which again we haven't seen at the time of recording this, but I think we would have by the time we've released this. Yeah, just surprise the crap out of me. And for all the confusion that I went into that thinking, like, how does this work? We've got the DCEU, but they've got a side movie here. This doesn't make any sense. What about Jared Leto? All this kind of crap. Just blew me away. Absolutely blew me away. And as much as I want to see Adam Sandler win an Oscar next year, as much as I want to see Adam Driver, Eddie Murphy, these people who I love, who I'd love to see win an Oscar, out of what I have seen... Joaquin Phoenix deserves it and I'm a Joaquin Phoenix fan and I think he deserves an Oscar anyway he's more like people always rabbit on about Leonardo DiCaprio never winning one um, I like yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio I'm glad he's won one but like look Joaquin Phoenix I think deserves one more than Leonardo DiCaprio ever has because this guy's one of the best actors we have going around today um, number two Logan Lucky I still don't know if you've seen Logan Lucky yet have you? oh I did yeah you did? yeah great okay. Um incredible just like I remember seeing the trailers for this Going, wow, like, this is awesome. We've got, like, you know, Daniel Craig with his southern accent and just, it, it basically is what? It's Magic Mike, Kylo Ren, and James Bond robber raceway. Um, and, like, I don't like Channing Tatum. The guy is a thumb on legs. Like, he's just, he's just, he's got a body and nothing else, but he actually was really good in this movie. Um, Katie Holmes is in it too, isn't she? Like, she's just randomly in this movie as well. And, like, just the most random people in it. Um, uh, Hilary Swank. Uh, just, just such a great cast. And like, I, I don't think I'd seen anything of Daniel Craig except for Tomb Raider. And like, this, he's just incredible. Like as this Southern accent guy who eats eggs, um, Adam Driver's armless man. <laughs> just, 
just hilarious. <laughs> I love Logan Lucky. Like this movie just stands out to me so much as such a great film. And how this didn't get more attention from anything as well because I feel this kind of gets forgotten about as a movie of this decade. And it's just such yeah. a great, great, great movie. And my number one film, I was tossing and turning between number two and number one and what would be number one, but ultimately it came out to number one. I'm having as Rush. Um, as an F1 really? fan, it, it helped. Not <laughs> really. Uh- <laughs> uh, oh. <laughs> I didn't mean to sound that way. Just I, I, I forgot the movie. I always forget the movie exists. <laughs> um, as an F1 fan, it definitely helps, but... It's just, it's, you talk about movies getting better and better whenever you watch it. I watched this with Mallory not long ago and just I was like, holy crap, I forget how good this movie is and just wanted to watch it again. Nikki Lauda sadly died this year, so it made me want to watch it even more so again. And just, it's just so good. Uh, what's his name? Brol is Nikki Lauda is just perfect. Daniel Brol, yeah. Daniel Brol. I was only going to call him Adam Brol. Um, but just, <laughs> he's absolutely perfect. Like, again, knowing as much as I know about Formula One and knowing Nikki Lauda, I've met Nikki Lauda, got his autograph. Like, He's perfect as him. Um, Chris Hemsworth as James Hunt is just the perfect casting. So, so good. Olivia Wilde is great in this movie. Just like so many good things in this film. And just, you know, I always joke and say, people say, what religion are you? I say Formula One. It is, you know, probably (laughs) the biggest, most obsessing I have in my life. And just this movie was just so perfect. Ron Howard was brilliant. The music is so good. Visually, it looks fantastic. Again, similar to Skyfall, how this got overlooked for, like, Oscars and things like that. Daniel Brohl, I think, got a Golden Globe nomination at least for it. But, um, oh, such a good movie. And I really hope we can cover it one day on the Oz Network because, um, yeah, to me, there it is, the best movie of the decade, Rush. Uh, So, starting with Joker, I mean, Joker's not in my top ten. Um, although I feel like if we did this list a year from now, it would be. It's one of these movies. I remember listening to yours and Mallory's review um, after I saw the movie, and the first thought in my head was, I wonder if we would have time to do a spoiler review because I really want to talk. It's one of these movies you just want to talk about it with somebody, you know? And so I felt like, oh, I really missed out on that because it took us an extra week to see it. And, uh, you know, Jamie is one of these people, it always frustrates me because when I finish watching a movie, I'm like, oh, what did you think of it? It was good. Or, oh yeah, it was really good. But she doesn't really give thoughts on it. You know, which <laughs> it's amazing we can stretch episodes with her <laughs> uh, out because she tends to not voice her opinions very much with movies. But with this, she was just going on, oh yeah, you know, this was amazing and this was amazing. That's the brilliance of this movie is it gets people talking and it gets people thinking. And I think the smartest thing about this is that you don't have to be a superhero movie fan. You don't have to know anything about superheroes. You don't have to know anything about Joker. You could not know that Joker is a comic book character, watch this, and not even assume it has anything to do with comic books. This is just a character portrait of mental illness and you know crime and, and a time period of the 70s um, that just happens to maybe in the last five, ten minutes – kind of make you think, oh, you know what? This kind of is, you know, tied into the DC universe so everything. You know, there, there's a few little things in there that tie into Batman that, like, do they need to be there? No, it's kind of interesting they have it, but yet you still could watch this movie, not know who Batman is, not know who Bruce Wayne is, not know anything about the Waynes or anything like that, and it's still just a brilliant movie. The closest comparisons are, like, movies like Taxi Driver and King of Comedy, these Martin Scorsese movies, and it's 100% like that, Um in fact, I've told people who saw this that don't expect to see anything to do with superheroes or a supervillain movie. Just expect to see Taxi Driver. 
because this is like it's like almost like a low budget 70s crime drama and forget about joaquin phoenix's performance like i want to talk about todd phillips the guy who made the hangovers made this movie yeah this is uh, it's it's a work of a genius it's like um the way what's that, his name farrelly doing um yeah, yeah the green book or whatever green book thank uh, you, yeah, yeah. Farrelly Brothers. um i mean this is way better than green book i mean i'll say that uh but just there's jaw-dropping moments in here just the way that it's film presented the timing the pacing when the big climax happens and the big climax i'm talking about like the moment you know maybe about 15 20 minutes before the end of the movie this big you know scene with robert de niro where something just so shocking happens like yeah there's no way you expect something like that to happen but then when it happens it's just shot in a way where it's like you can't not be taken aback and so many people have talked about how violent and disturbing the movie is ultimately you have less than five minutes of actual violence in this movie it is just a lot of a guy slowly losing it and slowly being pushed too far and and having breakdowns but real violence in this movie less than five minutes but those five minutes i wouldn't say that they're gruesome or anything like that it's just disturbing just it's uncomfortable yeah it really like it's the way that violence should be presented in movies and when we get to my top three, I'm going to be talking about violence in a very different way, which is going to make you feel like a hypocrite. But, um, but it's just it, – it's it makes you feel like – like oh, I, I really wish I had – I don't know how I feel about seeing that. And I, I really love the review that Ma- you and Mallory did because you came at it agreeing on every single point, and yet one of you ranked this in your top three of the decade, and the other one decided to bin it. But both agreed <laughs> 100% on the movie, which is crazy. It's just, it's such a unique movie. Um, and even, like, the other cast in the movie, like, for a small role, like, Robert De Niro really did something different. I'm in the middle of watching, um, I'm saying in the middle of it because it's impossible to get through this movie in even two sittings. I think The Irishman, the Martin Scorsese movie that he just made, mm-hmm. where it's literally just Robert De Niro playing Robert De Niro, which he's seen a million times. And somehow this feels like it's not Robert De Niro, even though it is. It's, oh, we could do it. We could do, and this is something we could do three or four episodes on. This could be the opposite of Bohemian Rhapsody. Let's just do another episode <laughs> on the Joker. Oh, um, we will. Yeah, uh, Logan Lucky. I, I kind of forget about that movie too. Which you know, when you mention it, my memory of this. I think I, I love the movie. I thought it was great, but my memory of this is very different because when I finally got around to watching this, it was just earlier this year. Um, I had had this movie for the longest time, and then. Uh, you know, didn't didn't ever you know bring myself to oh I should watch that now. Eventually, when I saw it, it was the day that the twins are born, and it was basically our twins were born. We're completely exhausted. You know, Jamie's asleep. You know, they're they're asleep. One of them's you know, taken to the NICU because he's born underweight or whatever. And I'm just totally drained. And I put on this movie trying to sleep on a couch in a delivery room or whatever. And you know, I couldn't sleep because I'm like it was such an entertaining movie. And I think that's what i would say more than anything else it's just it's it's such a fun movie you, you expect to see a small almost like indie you know drama or whatever but it's just it's so entertaining and so funny and so different and yeah daniel craig like daniel craig adam driver like nominate these guys for anything they're in like we, we talked about sorry daniel craig for bond that's because daniel craig's a better actor when he's not in bond and he is incredible as bond and that says a lot um rush the reason i was kind of taken aback with rush a it's because i always forget this movie exists but it's I never quite got the love of it, and I didn't dislike the movie in any way. Um, I thought it was a really good movie, but it sort of ended. I'm like, that was a good movie, and then I'm hearing all these people. 
that year saying like this movie should have been nominated for best picture this movie's ron howard's true masterpiece and i'm like really like i don't quite get it it's one of these things where I'm, i've always felt compelled to rewatch it because i was like from the very beginning of the decade so it's been a long time just because i never quite got the appeal or what this movie had over some people other than daniel Bruhl, but i think we mentioned on uh, other episodes no, I was a huge fan of his when he was just doing German movies before he ever spoke a word of English. So when he really broke through and he got all the attention for this movie, I was so happy. Um, but it was an interesting story. It's an interesting movie. Um, it's just it's sort of just a you know a race for my you know memory. I just I don't remember much about it. So you know, maybe I'll give it. Maybe we'll do a second watch month. Maybe uh, you could do an imp- you could do Impractical Jokers and oh. I could do Rush. <laughs> and then we can do a third watch month. <laughs> Yeah, third uh, watch a second time. I'll be second watch a third watch. Uh, no, like a three hundredth watch a third watch. But yeah. <laughs> um. So my top three. Uh. In complete contrast to my thoughts on Joker. Uh. My number three. John Wick Chapter Two. <laughs> this is the movie that makes violence fun. <laughs> Which just feels so wrong. And first, I just want to say John Wick Chapter One. That was another one where I'm like. I've got both of the movies in my top 10. I've got to do something here. I've got you know half of my list made up of Mission Impossible and John Wick. Um, the first John Wick was a very low-budget movie. Keanu Reeves was a nobody. He was doing direct-to-video movies, and this just happened to get... It probably could have been a straight-to-video you know, based on the hype for it or the expectations. And got a theatrical release, did like $14, 15000000 million in his opening weekend, which... For at the time, Keanu Reeves, people were like, wow, where, where did this come from? This is Keanu Reeves after all. You know, nobody watches his movies anymore. Jamie and I just happened to see it because, you know, we were on vacation. We were at the Mall of America. I said, do you want to pick this Kira Knightley, you know, chick flick or do you want to pick this Keanu Reeves action movie? Expecting her to say the Kira Knightley chick flick because I didn't realize Jamie's obsession with Keanu Reeves. She says, no, let's watch the Keanu Reeves one. Um, we were both so amazed by this. This is sort of like the Logan Lucky thing. It's like, this little movie that nobody thought of. And until the sequel came out, I still maintain that John Wick just would have faded into obscurity because, you know, it, it was such a, it, it was such an incredible movie, but it's that not a lot of people were aware of it. Uh, and it presented action in such a different way where these fight scenes kind of like, you know, the way that you know, the Jack Reacher, you know, does fight scenes, but almost on steroids you know it, it looked semi video game like but not quite to like an annoying level and you know ju- just the way that this character it, it's it's just a guy who was like the most deadliest person like they basically say he was called the boogeyman because he was the guy you sent to kill the boogeyman because he was that deadly and that he just got out and lived this normal life and then you know they joke it's about killing his dog, but when you actually watch the movie, you realize it's a lot deeper than they kill his dog. There's a lot more to it than that. Um, and it just brings him back into this world. And the fact that they evolved on that movie to John Wick Chapter 2, which on barely more of a budget makes it look like $100 million. And John Wick Chapter 2 suddenly explodes. And now John Wick Chapter 3 is one of the biggest movies of this year and definitely one of the only well-received movies this year. I, I'm just so happy because... It's like when you 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 catch on to something small, maybe like the way you are with Logan Lucky, and then nobody really knows about it. Imagine if they made a Logan Lucky two and it became this phenomenon. You'd be like, oh, I was with that from the beginning. But like John Wick Chapter Two truly is a better movie, and I remember walking out of it being a massive John Wick one fan and saying, I never expected it to be this good. This is the Godfather two or the Terminator two 
of action movies. There will never be an action movie that reaches these heights of just brilliance. And as simple as the story is, it's just visually the way it's told, the way the fight scenes are, and even the way the story plays out. Like They take it from being this small assassin's world to being almost like this fantasy world of assassins everywhere where it's presented like it's its own universe, like Harry Potter or Star Wars or something like that. And it's just totally different than anything you've seen before. And it just feels like operatic at times and just um, oh, like my, my, I, I feel like drooling when I talk about John Wick <laughs> and the action, you watch these fight scenes and you, you almost want to burst out laughing because they just do things that are just so insane but yet it doesn't come off as like tacky in any way. Um, my number two, which also very similar, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Um, I still maintain this is the only time I've ever really in my life had that reaction of physically responding to stunts I was seeing in a movie. You know, when me and my friend and I were watching this, you know, when they were doing like the, the climb up the building where Tom Cruise was doing that climb on the building which you know is a real stunt and being able to see that in IMAX and know they filmed this for real and you can tell it's for real. We were literally jumping out of our seats and like cringing and like, you know, clutching our knees against our chest. And I never experienced that in my life. And aside from that, it's just the most fun movie they've ever made in Mission Impossible. And, you know, now that like Christopher McQuarrie's taken over and it made the series so respectable, uh, you know, I feel like Ghost Protocol almost gets forgotten. Although often when you see people's opinions online about Mission Impossible, they'll say Ghost Protocol is still the best movie. Uh, even though it's just the most all-around, you know, I, I'm not going to say cheesy, but just fun, you know, uh, blockbustery popcorn movie of them all. Totally revived Tom Cruise's career. Greatest stunts. Such a fun movie. Uh, love it. And my number one, which if you went through our, you know, best of the decade or best of all time, you realize this is obviously my number one. Uh, and if anybody's ever talked to me for 10 minutes, they know this is going to be my number one. Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Um, I thought it was going to be your number one. Yeah, Edgar Wright, who did Baby Driver, this is like his real masterpiece. And I'm not going to say it's, it's you know, more funny to me because I'm Canadian, because Scott Pilgrim was this indie Canadian comic that they just decided to make a movie out of. But like, it is the most painfully Canadian thing you've ever seen, painful in a good way, where it's like, oh, that's so Canadian. And half people, there's a lot of jokes people are only going to get if you're in Canada, much like the recent Simpsons episode, which also did, was fun that it did Canadian only friendly jokes but um you know the, the movie's just it, it's purely like a, an 8-bit video game come to life it's you would think like you know a, a cheesy love story like you know um these 90s 80s and 90s teen love story movies even though the characters i guess are in their early 20s uh, but it's presented as like a video game with these elaborate fight scenes and, and also like john wick but even to a greater extent completely in its own fantasy world where physics and the laws of physics don't apply you could punch a guy and he you know flies 100 feet in the air um it's a complete satire i mean i can quote this movie non-stop jamie has a rule in our house that i'm not allowed to watch this movie after a certain hour because we'll watch this at <laughs> seven o'clock at night and 10 o'clock at night comes and she's trying to sleep and i'll be like <laughs> i gotta pee on her you know <laughs> there's all these lines in this movie that like when you watch the movie you're just oh i can't get that line out of my head <laughs> and i just I'm see just you sitting around the, the table 658 colin better start watching scott pilgrim pilgrim you yeah exactly got two more minutes. Well, yeah <laughs> but it it, it it gets this reaction on me where it's not just i laugh non-stop during the movie i laugh non-stop for three four hours afterwards and you know this is sort of that that movie where people 
people associate people who know me they associate me with oh he loves star wars he loves james bond and he loves scott pilgrim versus the world never seen it uh i think i said that now top 51 i would like to because you talk it up a lot and i will have to get to it because it's got brandon routh in it doesn't it oh yeah and he's amazing in it it's got such a big cast you know a lot of the people have gone on to become big since that movie Purely to see Brandon Ralph. That's my only reason to see Scott Pilgrim. Where is he? <laughs> he is What's he doing? Is the best scene. Yeah. Well, he's, uh, he's, he's playing Superman again. Is he? Oh, that's right. They're doing that a whole... When is that episode? Uh, well, probably the time this is airing. It's already happened, I think. <laughs> oh, I need to see it just purely for that. Um, Ghost Protocol. Um, yeah, I don't think I ranked that as my favorite out of all the Mission Impossibles from memory. What was the one afterwards? Rogue, Rogue Nation. I think I liked Rogue Nation best from memory. Um, I need to watch them again because, again, I think a couple of those later ones blended in. I really enjoyed them, but I think they all blended in. Although um, the last one was pretty good too. So, yeah. And did you say was it John Wick 1 or 2 that you put up? 2. John Wick 2. I, I mean, I've not seen any of them. I just wanted to make sure I had written that down properly. But, um, again, I really want to. My dad always talks them up. You always talk them up. I love Keanu Reeves. Who doesn't love Keanu Reeves? So, um yeah, I what was a meme I saw the other day. It was like um, somebody trod on an ant, and it's like, oh no, I trod on an ant, and then you hear a, ba- a noise in the background. John Wick, hey, who killed my pet ant? And then the person's <laughs> like, oh no! <laughs> Don't you love the like this this tiny movie John Wick, which spawns now this massive franchise? You know, has taken Keanu Reeves out of obscurity and made him the new Chuck Norris. Like, remember, talk about with this oh. decade. The last decade was the Chuck Norris decade, and this has ended as the Keanu Reeves decade. He's the new Chuck Norris. Which is crazy, because it's not like Keanu Reeves hasn't been in massive things before. I mean, Speed, The Matrix, hello. Like, I mean, this guy was in two iconic, you know, films and franchises, but... Yeah, I I love this resurgence of Keanu Reeves. It's it's hilarious, and I mean this guy is just one of the nicest guys. He seems such a humble person, and you know now we're obviously getting a Matrix Four, which I mean all Bill honestly, and Ted Three. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's, I honestly I remember when Matrix um, Revolutions ended. Everyone's like, this is it, this is it. I kind of thought, no, I'm pretty sure they're going to do another one. They ended that a little bit obscurely. Like, they're totally going to do a fourth one. Uh, And it's only taken, like, 20 years. But um, anyway, but um, no, I I need... need, We'll do Keanu Reeves Month, perhaps, in 2021. Yes. And uh, we'll bring that up. But, uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, we've done this in under two hours. I mean, it's very nearly two hours, but I thought... I thought this was going to be one of those ones where, like, ah, we'll do it in an hour, and eight hours later, we're still recording this thing, so... (laughs) I'm pleasantly surprised. A good job. And I think only one idiot entry per list. So <laughs> we don't have any matches, do we? No, I mean, I nearly had Shazam in my top 10. We had both had a Bond film. We both had a DC yeah. film. Uh, <laughs> no, we didn't. No. Wow. That's crazy. Cool. Go ask. Look at us being different. Um, Noah was going to submit a list, but we didn't want him to. So. <laughs> it's, it's pretty simple. But, uh, yeah, I think... Look, I'm pretty sure this is aired after our first taste of Rise of Skywalker. If it hasn't, then whatever. But uh, really to wrap this year up outside of our Rise of Skywalker reactionary ones and probably a Survivor finale reaction episode. Sandra came back and won or something like that. Um, <laughs> uh, we've got our best of the year and our best of the decade, which, as I've mentioned a few times, the best of the decade really... It's in two parts. You'll have the first half will basically just be all Survivor Oz stuff, and then the second half will just be all Oz Network stuff. So if you only listen to us for the Survivor stuff, 
I don't know how you've made it two hours in this episode. There's no Survivor, people. Tune out. <laughs> uh, listen to the first part of the decade and not the second part. But it's been a fun year. It's been a fun decade. And um, we nearly are a decade. We nearly lasted the whole decade, Colin. How did that work? Um, luck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Logan Luck. Key. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Roger Moore. Uh, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, subscribe on all the relevant channels, and thanks for tuning into this episode. It's been fun. I've learned a lot. And go and watch these movies and TV shows that we've suggested. Right now, you've only got like a week to the end of the year, so hurry up because they, they don't count in 2020. My name is Ben, and I'm still an idiot. My name is Colin, and knit your own cat. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.